Good morning, class. Welcome to Art Eater Podcast number uh, 24. So um, I think this is part part three, part four of the uh, our, our, our ongoing Darkstalkers series. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm your host, uh, Richmond. Um, unfortunately, our co-host Sean can't be here today, but uh, we got our our uh, regular uh, cast of uh, fighting game experts, our, our, our rogues gallery of fighting game uh, experts out here. So um, yeah, could you all uh, introduce yourselves real quick for our listeners? Oh, of course. Absolutely. Uh, I'm James Stanley. I've been a recurring member here <laughs> for quite some time for uh, the Dog Stalker series. Um, I'm a free bl- freelance storyboard artist, uh, character designer, and comic artist. I'm the writer and creator of a series called Part-Time Shuffle. Um, all the work that I am doing, whether it's Part-Time Shuffle-related, storyboard-related, or whatever, uh, you can reach me or see the process of that on my Twitter, which is beefy underscore kunoichi. Um, you know, I'm usually on there talking about everything I love and uh, food. So, uh, yeah, that's how you can reach out to me, and uh, that's what I'm about. Hey, so I'm Thomas from France. So I'm a fighting game writer uh, for several publications, including uh, Red Bull, and uh, I'm also a web developer and uh, and and. Um, and an art uh, aficionado, so I love uh, following the stories of James, for example, on his Twitter. So go go subscribe to his Twitter. And uh, I'm very glad to be back again. It's it's becoming like an habit a little bit to talk about fighting games on the Art Eater podcast. Yeah, happy hey, to have you. Yeah, I'm just going to hop in real quick too. Hey, everybody. Um, I'm Adam Mattis. I go by Adam or Adrian on Twitter. I'm also known as Adrian Mattis on Twitter. I'm a game and level designer, pixel artist, and also international taekwondo fighter. So yeah, you can follow me over on there for anything cool, like art-related, anything games-related. I chat about all kinds of media on different bits and scenes from my life. I'm really happy to be here once again. And yeah, just chopping up with these fine friends of mine about about, um, that thing called Darkstalkers that we all love. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. So let's get right into it. All right. Okay. Super excited for this this podcast. Um, yeah, so uh, if you're tuning in, um, just know that the, we, we've recorded three previous podcasts on uh, Vampire, a.k.a. Uh, Darkstalkers. So, uh, yeah, we've been going through the history of the series. Uh, we talked about the, the first game, the inception of it, um, just how special it was. Um, and uh, today we're, we're going to close things out by talking about the last uh, iterations of uh, the Vampire games. And then, um, yeah, and then we'll just sort of do a general retrospective, just talk about the things that really stood out to us about the series. Um, but first, let's get into uh, Vampire Savior 2. Uh, that'll be the first game we talk about. And um, yeah, if someone could just quickly give an introduction to this game, because um, the, the the thing with the Darkstalkers games is it, the chronology of the games is a bit confusing. Yeah, <laughs> especially the arcade games. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. basically, the the game came out in 1997, so the same year as uh, Vampire Savior, and uh, it came actually in two games. So there's Vampire Savior Two and there's Vampire Hunter Two. So if you're following right, we are at the there's like five five games. And uh, basically, Vampire Savior 2 is an update with the new uh, gameplay, uh, updated gameplay mechanics. Uh, but it follows the, 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 the pattern 
of the first vampire savior. So uh, there's a change in some characters, like in the, the, the roster is different and characters are different. And uh, maybe James can uh, introduce us a little bit about the, the gameplay mechanics. I'm not too sure about them, but uh, I think you've got this. Well, I mean, the, the biggest change, I mean, there's a lot, but uh, you know, one of the things that I'll talk about that affects all of the characters is how aerial links, link combos, and chain combos work. So previously, in Dolphstalkers, you could literally just do a basic chain combo, like which is chaining a light, medium, and heavy attack. It could be punches or kicks, or you could interchange them as long as you're going in the sequential order from light, like lightest attack to heaviest attack. Um, you could do them on the ground, you could do them on the, in the air, uh, but in Vampire Savior 2, uh, they decided that the air chain is something that they only wanted characters to have during uh, Dark Force mode, which is a mode that gives characters a particular subset of abilities for a limited period of time based on how much meter you have uh, before you activate it. Um, now, the thing is, is that outside of Dark Force mode, you wouldn't be able to do an air chain unless, well, I don't want to say unless, uh, the only option you would have is if your character had frame data that supported being able to do a link combo. So the way that link combos work would be, as opposed to chaining a normal together just because it's lighter than the other two normals that you have in terms of punches and kicks, this would be based specifically on frame data, meaning that whatever normal attack you're doing in the air would need to provide enough frame advantage on hit to allow that whole normal to come out and recover and still have frame advantage for you to push another button. Um, only certain characters have frame data that support that in this game. And that's typically how link combos work. Um, Dimitri has some that actually work that way. Uh, Bishamon uh, was infamous for being able to do an instant jump medium kick followed by a very late jumping heavy kick on the descent of his jump because the jumping medium kick gave enough frame advantage that the, your opponent was still stunned, that it would allow you to recover from the entire animation from the jumping medium kick into his jumping heavy, uh, heavy kick. And it, and it was a really tight string that was really difficult to deal with when you're do, like in terms of uh, offense pressure. So while his example is very specific, everyone's examples are going to be super specific because <laughs> it's very conducive to the frame data that they actually have. Um, this, again, this also, this affected a lot of characters. Uh, I don't want to say necessarily in a negative way, because when you, when you think about it, like, there's points where you say, okay, well, what about people who have, like, dash links, right? Like, you know, BB Hood or Belletta. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Sako was an infamous uh, player who used her, and he had that, like, the Sako-only combo, where you're linking dashing uh, light punches. Um, you would think, oh, man, is that going to be something that's affected? Well, ironically, Sako was able to still do these things. Like, a lot of the, the combos that uh, he had with Boletta were still in the game. Mm. And basically, he was almost unaffected. But other characters uh, seem to get newer things. So it's like, oh, man, I can't do my normal uh, combo. But now you have uh, a black pressure string just because of how link combos are affected by your dash. Uh, especially if your dash took your character off the ground, that meant that they could do air links that they normally wouldn't be able to do. 
and doing them very low to the ground obviously causes the, you know, different types of math where you're like, wait, I'm dealing with an elongated normal that is technically an air normal, but at ground height. Like, how do I deal with, how do I block this in certain instances? Like people like Zabel or Lord Raptor, um, you know, their normals are really angular. Like I would say Lord Raptor is kind of like preliminary, like MVC2 Magneto in certain instances. <laughs> so like there's certain angles that Zabel is going to be able to hit that opponents aren't going to be able to really deal with. So like it, it affected the game uh, in a very like peculiar way where even though these were changes and people had to adapt, it didn't make too many characters suffer. And in some cases it buffed characters uh, significantly. Um, and it, you would think, Oh man, that's like one thing. How could it severely affect the game so much? But there's so much going on with the melting pot of like the meta that is dog stalkers in general, that by this point, the game was already making innovations, but like this took it to like a completely other level. It's, it's like this game has elements of, you know, what you would consider to be in like a Kusoge game, but it's refined. So mm -hmm. like this, that's why this game is very special on a competitive level where there's a particular type of skill set that you have to have where, it's not necessarily the way that, like, for example, in X-Men versus Street Fighter, someone could say, well, you're just basically hunting for, like, one attack to hit and then doing the proper setup into an infinite and then doing a guard break into another infinite and the fight is over. Whereas with Vampire Savior, because there's so many other things going on, like, even if you have damaging combos that you can do, like, you know, on reaction you still have to create those situations and there's so much you have to think about uh, prior to that where, you know, games that are kind of in the Kusoge category, which I'm sorry, I don't mean to throw out a term that people may not know. Kusoge is like a rough translation is like shitty game. Um, <laughs> and basically it's referred to for like X-Men versus Street Fighter, uh, Hokuto no Ken, mm. games where it's like one touch, one death, one kill kind of thing where it's like, well, I don't have to really think about anything else about, except this combo. Although that's not necessarily true. Um, but that's a term that's usually uh, kind of thrown around. Um, whereas with Vampire Savior, even though it has things in it that could seem Kusoge-esque, uh, the game is refined to an extent where there's a particular type of skill set that you have to have mm -hmm. uh, when you're playing it. Um, other things that were affected were... Um, Throws. Throws are actually not in all situations, but in most, they're not jump escape. Like, you can't escape a throw by jumping. Um, which gives people the ability to do throw loops. Yeah. Personally speaking, I like throw loops. I think they're kind of amazing. <laughs> uh, but, I can, but I can understand why that is something that you don't want to have, especially in a game like Vampire Savior, where it can be extremely difficult to get out of. And it's kind of like once you're in it, it's it's tough. And in yeah. Vampire Savior 2, throws are really important. Um, um, can you elaborate on that? Like, can you go into how uh, the throws in this are different than like a, uh, you know, a typical Street Fighter 2 based? So, so the thing, right? Like, when it comes to throws, like you've got like the, the startup time from the throw, like whatever the animation is, it could be... Something as simple like uh, like a Shotokan, right? Like uh, they have what the Seoi Nage, where they do the over-the-shoulder throw, right? Yeah. So you've got the animation of them doing it. Your opponent, I'm sorry, your character hitting the ground, 
right? And then whatever animation that the uh, the player is that performed the throw is recovering from to a point where, okay, now I can jump, move, push buttons. With the throw loop, what happens is, depending on the throw, if the throw lands you at a point where I'd say maybe in front of you or like slightly like a, like, like far away from you, like one to two character length away. Um, but it allows you to like dash forward or to with a move while the opponent is recovering mm. mm-hmm. and you're at advantage. Basically you get to throw again. Yeah. And that's the, a situation that's very complicated because basically it returns you to, uh, to always the same situation, you know, because the, the throw is, immutable it's not like you're you know ending it differently than like a combo so basically you throw and you're back on your opponent's feet and it's like what do i do do i need to throw or to counter throw or do i need to guard and uh, what james said about you know not having time to jump is i don't know exactly how it works in this game but in most games it's it comes from the fact that you are you, you it takes time you know to leave the ground and you are in a state you're not in a state where you are on the ground or in the air you are in an in between state and if this in between state is throwable then you it becomes very hard just to escape because if you try to jump you you can be thrown if you stay on the ground you can be thrown and uh what do you do so that's uh that that's a problem in in a lot of games not actually just vampire savior 2 that's something mm-hmm. very special i think that the, the difference with vampire savior well i don't want to say necessarily the difference but one of the contributing factors to throw loops is that they have large active frames mm. Because it's basically like a meaty throw, which there's no option for the downed opponent at that point. Um, Pyron, ironically, can't escape any throw by jumping in this game. Like, literally, (laughs) every character can throw Pyron. Um, What's also interesting is that, like, it you on Wake Up, there was no option, but like things like uh, Dimitri's Midnight Bliss, they can still be jumpable. Um, I think uh, Anacharis' ES hand move, I think that can be uh, escapable. But most command grabs and normal throws are just, it's very difficult to get out of it. Um, sometimes you'll see that happen. And if you don't know any better, it'll just look like, well, why are they just letting them throw them? It's like, no, yeah. like, they, <laughs> they, they can't get out of this because the math doesn't support uh, them being able to actually move in that particular instance. So if a character lost like, a particular like uh, combo, like a dash combo or like a, yeah, like what would happen is they would get like a pressure string out of that same combo that doesn't chain anymore. Um, or they got an ability to use it as a tick and then do the throw and then put them in the throw loop. Um, so it, it's a scary game. Um, but I think for me, one of the things that I, uh, I guess, employ, employ with it when in terms of when I play it is, Sort of the similar aspect to X-Men versus Street Fighter. It's like you have to know what you're getting into and you have to have enough knowledge to understand what your opponent can and cannot do and just be as ready as you can for it. Um, and for me, that's a fun experience because I kind of like the fact of that fear being in you. Like, oh, my God, this guy could literally destroy me if I make one mistake. Like, I kind of like that. Um, so it makes for an interesting uh 
experience, especially when you do long sets with someone. You really get to get in their head. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and that, there's something interesting that you said is that you, you mentioned uh, Pyron. And uh, one of the key changes of this game is that the roster shifted because... Uh, yeah, I imagine this, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Some characters, like, I think it's uh, Talbane, Rico, and Sasquatch are removed. And uh, Donovan, um, Pyron, and uh, what's his name? Um, Whitzel, yeah. Whitzel, yeah, the, yeah. the pot- pottery guy. Uh, <laughs> are added. So basically, you, you lost, like, two, three characters to others. That's kind of special that's uh that's something very strange and uh, at the same time uh, i don't know like losing sasquatch in vampire savior is it is it still you know vampire savior <laughs> yeah <laughs> good, i mean it's a good question honestly yeah, yeah. considering I mean, like the you oh go ahead no go ahead no you're good i was gonna say considering like, the utility of like a character like that and like obviously how in some cases like broken they can be and like overutilized in some areas like when you remove someone like that from the roster it makes a big change to like the general kind of like not only like a tier list but a general like approach to you know the game on like not only just a competitive level but even at like a casual level when you have a character who you it's not it's not so much about them being like super popular at like the early level it's more so just about them being like oh cool can i get in can i play this character or not Am I going to be interested in playing a Rikyo or a Sasquatch or a Talbane? If they're not there, who else, who else am I going to play? But then obviously they've got like Donovan, Weedsill, and Pyron back in there as well. So it's interesting actually because seeing that Pyron was like a boss character as well from like the original game, like a lot of people they would have been able to go in and actually like give him a try, see what it was like and stuff like that. So I think it's interesting considering the fact that like you get these non-boss characters taken out, then you get a boss character put into Playhouse. It's kind of weird. It's like. It's like if you got to play as Gil in Third Strike, like for the first time back then, that'd, mm. that'd be kind of interesting. Yeah. Immoral, yeah. evil. Basically, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's it's really strange. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's it's interesting what you're saying about Sasquatch because I feel like, um, you know, the, there's a parallel. that's like, imagine Marvel versus Capcom two, and I know there's there's two sides to this coin, right? Like, but imagine Marvel versus Capcom two without Magneto. Yeah, like, that will be a better game, of course. Eh, eh. <laughs> I'm going to get murdered for this. I, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where if you're along the side of, hey, I like zoning and doing traps more so than like uh, stylized rushdown, then yeah, you would like that game without Magneto in it. But even people who are casual players of Marvel 2, they know about the like viral sensation of Yipes, and they know... like. Mm. that Magneto is so great in this game. So even from a spectator standpoint, Magneto not being there, uh, it would kind of take away some of the energy of the game. So it's like having Sasquatch removed is kind of a, it's an interesting thing, but I see it as an attempt to sort of like uh, pull the reins in, so to speak, while still allowing people to have fun with the game. So I think that's probably why that happened. Cool, yeah. Just to hop in really quickly, I have, like, two really cool characters that I want to actually, like, to speak about for a little bit. Okay, so in this game, they have two new characters that came through, in a sense. Basically, one's called Shadow, and mm-hmm. the other is called Marionette. These are two characters here that a lot of people kind of don't know about if they're not really kind of, like, super deep into the game series itself. But, yeah, Shadow basically is this character that made this appearance in the play mode that was available by inputting, like, a specific kind of, like, code on the character select screen. It's like a little secret code type deal. It's very cool. It's very reminiscent of, like, cheats in, like, older games in general anyway. So it's, it's super cool. But, yeah, basically, this character is super, super cool. 
So basically, the changes that it makes, it forces the player to basically control their previously defeated opponent. So whenever whoever you've whoever you've beaten in like say an arcade mode or whatever, like you get to become that next character. So basically, you get to play through the whole like arcade as like previous characters that you've just beaten up. It's really really cool, and I like the idea so much. It's just it's super rad, and like you get this really weird, cool like tall shadow like figure with like a big rib cage hanging out, and like this cool like red dot on his forehead, like really white glowing eyes, really like, ominous looking figure. It's amazing. I think if anyone gets the time, hit up Google, hit up Darkstalkers, and just type in the type in the word shadow, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Just really cool, foreboding, ominous character. Very very sick. So that's just one thing, really quickly. It's one of my favorite characters, really. Well, I, I just want to comment on Shadow. He, he looks a lot like the God Warrior from Nausicaa. Okay. Oh, wow, yeah. I didn't General even think of that. Shape. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting as well, because, like, his idol animation as well, like, it's really strange looking. Like, it looks like he's kind of... He's, he's not really moving. It's like he has an aura around him that's kind of, like, shifting his pixels about. Like, yeah. he looks yeah. like one of those, like, old-school, like... Do you remember when you try and do, like, flipbook animations as a kid? Yeah, and obviously you don't yeah, draw yeah, the same yeah. thing perfectly each time. Like, yeah, each, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of moving and shifting. It reminds me of that. It's very eerie. I like it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely. It's, it's super cool. It's cool, actually, as well, because, like, the characters appeared in, like, a couple other things. Like, in, like, Udon's Darkstalkers comic and stuff. Like, that's pretty sick as well. But, yeah, and in lots of art as well. Lots of official art is, is in there, so that's cool. But the next one I just wanted to mention really quickly <clears throat> was Marionette. Okay, so this is one of my favorite characters, like, in fighting games in general. Like, just design-wise. Basically, imagine, like, the name implies. Imagine, like, a giant puppet with a really cool, like, wind-up knob coming out of a back and a very, like, jester, joker-type design. It's kind of like if Tinkerbell and, like, Pinocchio were, like, mixed together, if you think about it, like, that way. But, yeah, basically, Marionette is a really cool but weird character. You have to, again, input another code to get this character to be activated and to be able to play them. But, yeah, in Marionette mode, the player takes on the form of, like, their former current opponent, basically. So, instead of being the previous opponent that you just beat, Basically, it's kind of like a mirror match mode, in a sense. Mm. So it forces the player to play as whoever they're fighting against. And after winning that battle, your character's winning portrait and quote, like, they don't even appear. You just get a silhouette of like your next opponent's win portrait. It's really weird and like ominous and kind of creepy, but it's one of my favorite things from these games, the fact that they t- decided to like introduce this and sort of make it a secret, but like, not so much of a secret, because obviously they went to all the lengths to obviously put it in and like sort of make sure that people could find out how to do it. But yeah, really, really cool stuff. Really cool characters, and yeah, just very, very much a cool thing of mine. They have, like, really cool question marks as well. If the player ranks high enough on the score table, a question mark will appear instead of, like, a character image or the name as well. It's really cool. It reminds me of, like, some of my favorite things in media where, for example, like, you have really cool, like, question mark in sigils instead of, like, an actual name. It's like in, um, I'm sure if anyone has seen Mob Psycho 100, it's like the whole, like... The, the question mark percentage where Mob doesn't know like what power level he's at, but he's like he's in this whole other sort of like realm of like strength. It's like that. I, I really yeah. enjoy that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know what's interesting too is like it allows like outside of the whole player knowledge thing, right? Like what's cool mm-hmm. about that is you it it sort of allows you to kind of embody um, this ominous like entity like within the game. Like exactly now you're. It's like you're 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 this almost like omnipotent, all knowledgeable, all encompassing like thing that is like going through the cycle of this tournament, and you have the knowledge of, or well, the idea is that you have the knowledge of like 
all of the other characters and now you're using it against them or you're using you know what i mean like like it creates a really cool atmosphere for the player that's different from just playing the game based on the knowledge they have about a particular character like i think i think that's a really cool experience for someone and even in a one-player sense like that's a really involving experience it's really neat yeah it's kind of like fourth wall breaking in a sense right like yeah. it's really it's really strange just because again like you're controlling a character called marionette and like obviously they're a puppet but it's like yeah like that's what you do with all the characters in a sense right yeah. kind of like the puppets for you to play with in this game and you kind of you're looking into the world into the stories this kind of you know like god's eye view kind of like all-encompassing figure like james just said so yeah it's a really interesting kind of look at that and obviously with the characters being secret it's just interesting as well because it adds that extra bit of you know like eerie kind of like secrecy to it so yeah, very cryptic and everything. It goes very well with the franchise and series as a whole. It's great. I honestly think it's more creepy and cryptic than when you see someone pick a Kuma in Super Turtle. And that, for me, was, like, super scary. Because mm. you just see the black silhouette. And something about the silhouette of a Kuma, like, even if you don't see his face, like, that was scary for me as a kid. So I think this kind of, like, took that idea and, like, found a mm. way to, to emphasize it in a, in a much more uh, narrative fashion. And, it's, and even, you know, like breaking the fourth wall, like it's just really unique. You know, yeah. I, wish, I wish you had more stuff like that in like games now. True. Very, very true. Just one last thing I wanted to mention as well. Just considering a marionette's idol as well. I'll just put it in. But um, yeah, she's actually like, on strings. So she has like four strings, like controlling her body and stuff. So, like, it's really strange just the fact that, like, they even included that, too. It makes sense, obviously, with what the character is. But just, like, seeing the strings, like, go off the screen and, like, you know, thinking about how it is that, like, they would need to be pulled or held like you would with any kind of general marionette or doll figure. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's super, super strange just to think about that. Because, again, like, you're doing the exact same thing with all the other characters. So, yeah, really cool stuff. There's also um, you mentioned uh, Richmond. Like, well, where do they fit in the in the story and things like that? Well, they don't fit actually <laughs> at all because the the I, I'm maybe I'm uh, confusing, but I think those two games are just like you know guided episodes without mm. without any story uh, without any story related elements because they they removed a lot of things like uh, character specific endings and things like that so basically the, that's like more of a I'm, I don't know what to say but uh, you know a very gameplay oriented new version than a, yeah. a fully lore version oriented because the the yeah, the game is just like okay, and and basically also the games, those two games, Vampire Savior Two and Vampire Hunter Two, they only came out in Japan, like never in other parts of the world in uh, in arcades. So basically, those games were discovered like a bit later by a lot of people, and outside of compilations, most people and uh, of course emulation, most people haven't played them in arcades. So that's they are pretty rare games. And so that's the reason why I suppose the, you know, gameplay, the, the gameplay changes are not well known or characters like uh, the Shadow or Marionette are not well known too. So they're kind of really, you know, Vampire, Vampire is already a niche game, mm. but those two games, they're like the niche of the niche of the niche game. <laughs> yeah, niche within a niche. <laughs> yeah, one of my other favorite things I just wanted to mention very quickly. I actually forgot to mention another character that I really like. Um, okay, so everyone knows about Bishamon, obviously, the 
cursed um, character with the armor and the sword that kind mm-hmm. of controls his body. But yeah, in this game as well, they had another character, another version of this character. It's, yeah. Ob- it's Oboro Bishamon. So mm-hmm. basically, this dude is absolutely crazy. It's basically, it's a depiction of what Bishamon would be like if he like properly like mastered and like was fully able to conquer and control the evil armor that possesses him. So basically he takes complete control of like his own mind, body, soul, spirit, all of it and the armor itself. And he, yeah, he just he just becomes so strong, but like he loses a couple of abilities actually. So he can't send out like the soul fire move to like possess the opponent, but he does gain some like new abilities too. He's got some new colors and yeah, one of the one of the craziest and coolest things that I've seen actually at the start of the fight and um, after the fight as well, he's able to, like, put on the armor and, like, remove it, which is really symbolic because, like, obviously, yeah. if you know Bishamon's story, he can't take it off. Like, the armor for normal Bishamon is basically, like, a part of him. It's like it's like the mask, right, with Jim Carrey. Like, he can't just, like, remove it or whatever. Like, it's sort of, like, it sticks on for a bit. So, yeah, he's able to, like, control this armor and control himself, and it's just such a cool character because, again, like, you actually get to see the narrative played out through the gameplay in a sense and you get to see the narrative played out through that little tiny little bit of story juxtaposition with regard to the actual intro itself like when the character's just walking up and then you see like not just obviously Bishamon as we know him but you just see like a normal looking dude with like this really cool looking hat and he's got this big staff and then obviously he calls the armor and then it, it appears around his body and stuff it's really really interesting to see he looks like a shaman of sorts even it's very very cool yeah, yeah, I'm looking at the intro. He's like uh it's like a traveling monk at first. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, even his colors are a bit different actually for like Obora Bishamon as well. Like those base colors, like the slightly um yeah, they're yeah. just like slightly desaturated silk a little bit. Like it's nice though. Like it works very very well. He gives he gives a, a kind of you know Shin Hakuma vibe a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So Shin Bishamon basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only thing that they did to like try to like balance him was that uh, his super armor in Dark Force they took out because mm-hmm. at that point if he had that he would literally be the game. Yeah. <laughs> like there's nothing else that you could do, uh, especially a, a Boro Bishamon like. Hmm. <laughs> Jesus, like yeah, I didn't, I didn't know about Oboro Bishamon. Oh, did you not? Yeah, it's super cool. No, no, I, 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 I knew, I remember Shadow Marionette. I totally new to me. Oboro Bishamon, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, really cool character. It's just the fact that again, like the, it's the, um, it's the slight dull, dullness in the colors. And also, like, it's the fact that, again, it's you get those cool winning quotes, but it's those moveset changes, too. It's mm-hmm. all of it, really. That they're, they're very small little tweaks and changes. They don't go in and create a whole other new character. They just make these tiny little changes, but they're very specific. And it's just cool, because you just get to see this whole other side of a character which you already half understand. And it's just, yeah, it, it's great. Mm-hmm. I... Yeah. And there's also another character... That is uh, uh, that is a bit hidden and not very well known, which is a uh, dark Talbane. Oh yeah, and uh, that's the evil version of Talbane. So that's uh, that's surprising. <laughs> that that's like the uh, you know we did uh, an entire episode on John Talbane with with you two, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we we talked about how you know the character is. Is like feral, but also a martial artist, yeah. and that's that's very surprising to see, uh, you know, an evil version of this because the 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 original version is 
so well thought and so balanced between the two. So that's a that I was surprised when I discovered it. Mm. Did you does play he, it? Does he play differently? Uh, I think he played different. Well, basically, all the, um, the um, all the characters had tweaks in those games. And as for as for Tywin, I'm sorry, I haven't played it, so I can't tell. <laughs> hmm. I'm sorry. Do you play it? Did you play him, uh, James? Oh, did we lost James? Oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm here. No. Oh, I'm okay. Here. I'm here. Okay. Sorry about that. Uh, I was actually just like thinking to myself, like things that I remember about Talbot. I don't remember much. Like I remember <laughs> changes to Oboro Bishamon, mm -hmm. but I don't remember anything for uh, for Dark Talbot, unfortunately. Um, I because I know that just about everybody had some change to them. Like yeah. some more than others, uh, but it's it's kind of like it's just hard to remember because like <laughs> I only because it, it's it's like it's one of those things where like when I played it, it was like my I, I zoned in on like Jetta and like I played a little bit of Oboto Bishamon, but those were the two people that I really like honed in on. Mm. So I'm just thinking, like, God, man, like Talbane, like, like Talbane's one of those characters I would like play around with, but I didn't really, really play a lot in VS2. Mm -hmm. There's so there's uh, we mentioned it before, but we've been talking about Vampire Savior 2, but there's also Vampire Hunter 2, and um, so basically that's the difference are also a switch of characters, or are there like key differences in gameplay too? Because I don't, I really don't remember. Uh, I I played Vampire Savior two, but I never played Vampire Hunter two. So I thought the idea behind Hunter two was it was geared towards people who you know preferred Vampire Hunter, which was the original sequel. Yeah, <laughs> this gets so confusing. Yeah, it yeah. really does. Two sequels in one year, and one was for the third game, and the other sequel was for the second game. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also just an interesting relic of the time that. Um, this was, you know, uh, this was back when memory was very limited. Um, yeah, you didn't have like optical disk drives for arcade games. So uh, part of the reason why they had to remove characters was there, there just wasn't enough memory for the full cast and all their animation. And um, which is, you know, it, it's it's just to put it in perspective, like the entire game now could it, it's it's probably what like like. 32 megs or something like probably yeah you, you you could probably take a photo on your phone that takes up more memory more than space like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, speaking about this with my friends recently it really is crazy just the amount of just just how far we've come in terms of that just the fact that we can actually do so much more now we've got like just gigabytes and gigabytes and gigabytes all around us but like yeah. back then you just couldn't get anywhere close to that at all like it's wild yeah yeah so so basically the game is like the um, uh, yes, it has the same roster, like like Richmond said. Actually, it's the follow-up of the second game. Why Vampire Savior Two is the follow-up of the third game? So that's super confusing. But well, <laughs> yeah. well. So basically, they took back the the character roster and the soundtrack of the second game, and uh, they tweaked 
the, the gameplay of the game, of the characters, to play a little bit more like the second game, but they kept some things from the from Vampire Savior, and uh, the 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 most obvious thing is the um, the round system, like the, mm. the 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 fact that you have two life bars and there's no there's no real pause during the rounds. So uh, that's I think that's surprising because to me, you know, vampires Vampire Hunter is the Street Fighter Two version of of uh, of the series. Oh, for sure, yeah, and, sure. You know, and the fact that they tried to make a follow up to this version, but didn't kept the round the traditional round system is like a, a nonsense to me. Maybe it makes sense when you play the game a bit more, but than I did. But uh, to me, it feels like super aggressive and uh, not very until like hmm. I don't know. Interesting. It seems like it was an experiment to uh, just to see if that's something that they could like implement in maybe future games. Like it doesn't because it seems so far off of what Hunter is. Because Hunter really is like the the SF two of uh, like the Dogstalker series. It is not as fast paced as like, Vampire Savior. Um, I mean, is it? It does have some aggression, but nowhere near like the the momentum and like the feel of, of savior. So it's interesting that they, they tried to do that. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they were thinking. Maybe they had, you know, um, too many CPS two cartridge to sell. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they were like, we have, we have CPS three coming because actually that was the same year as the CPS three. So maybe, you know, mm -hmm. they, they wanted to sell all the, <laughs> the yeah, remaining. Yeah. Arcade systems, <laughs> CPS I mean, two that, liquidation. Yeah, that, that's that's why Street Fighter Alpha was made in the first place to to offload the CPS one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, well, and be, and because they were scared of doing uh, Street Fighter three, but that's another story. That's another story. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah I just want to drop some so, trivia in real quickly. Just um, while the four characters from like Vampire Savior like were omitted that we just discussed earlier. Like most of the game data still exists. Like you got Lilith, who, however, is like completely like intact, but like can be playable like via hacking, and like oh. having no voice clips or like no victory like background music. But yeah, her Showtime like was it, and her Showtime super playing random music hacked uh, tracks from the game as opposed to like beats when buttons are pressed. Like the game mm. can be beaten without error using Lilith, as all as all characters bar Pyron share the same ending. Like though Lilith's final boss is still Morrigan. That's interesting. Mm. Yeah. So like. There's still some like remnants there in the game data for sure, like it says there. So it's pretty, it's pretty wild. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. I guess. Um, so, yeah. Just, just for 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 everyone listening, like if if you're um, if you're trying to get into this series, like it it, it can be after part two. Um, there, there's so many games. Or, well, yeah. After part three, I mean. So, um, I, I I guess. Uh, what is it what is the most played game right now like when 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 someone says like oh i want to get into dark stalkers like which savior. version savior for savior sure. yeah the first that's, savior, that's yeah yeah the first Everything, one not savior 2 not savior 2 savior yeah. 2 isn't really i don't i don't think that it is as accessible as it would need to be to have like a concise scene but like okay. vampire savior by default is usually the one yeah. that people play and the second um, one being vampire hunter so the second episode yeah okay it's 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 the same thing with like uh like street fighter 3 like the most common played competitively yeah. is third strike like there's like maybe a thousand 
or so people who still know like how Sega Impact works, but like <laughs> most people just play uh, third. Okay. Yeah, uh, the same with Street Fighter 2, you know, there's HD Remix and there's also Ultra Street Fighter 4, uh, Street Fighter 2 that came out on Switch. But basically, every everybody is playing Super Turbo. Oh, there's also you know the the ah uh, the Ultimate Challenge, the the version where you can pick any type of character from yes. Street Fighter Two. Oh yeah, that's yeah. a oh that that oh, game is interesting because that that caused some tea. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, I don't mean to do like a side tangent, but like I don't know if we'll ever have a chance to talk about this. So I just I got to throw this in here. Why uh, did I mention it? <laughs> so, so so like. All right, there is there is a player um, that was from Southern California, I believe. I may have the region wrong, but his name was Jeff Schaefer. He went by the name L.A. Akuma. He was really good in Alpha 2, but he hated the game um, because he preferred like Street Fighter 2, like Super Turbo, stuff like that. Um, this version of Super like Street Fighter 2, I think it was called Hyper Anniversary Edition or yeah, something. Yeah. Or, uh, um, anniversary. So, yeah. Yeah, so... At one of the Evos, he actually entered and he played Daigo and he used, I believe it was like CE Guile and he beat the dog shit out of Daigo. Like, <laughs> really bad. Like, it was like, because, you know, people would start to speculate because around that time, you know, more people started to know about Daigo uh, for, for Third Strike and like other things and, um, you know, it was kind of a speculation because there were certain players from a particular era that was before Valle and Watson, where it was like Tomo Ohita, uh, Jeff Schaefer, because uh, Valle and Watson were like hella young at the time. And, you know, like Schaefer was around and people would often you know, wonder, like, man, what would happen if Tomo played Daigo or what would happen if Tomo played, uh, not Tomo, um, Jeff played Daigo? And it happened at Evo. Now, I will say this. Daigo's not necessarily too familiar with like CE characters, like Champion Edition characters. He just played like Super Two and Super Turbo, but like it was interesting to see how bad he got beaten uh, by an American player at that time because that was kind of that thing where it was like, "There's no way in a Western player could beat an Eastern player." Like that was kind of like the the dynamic back then. But like you know, I remember seeing that and I was like holy shit <laughs> like like he really he beat his ass like it was it was pretty it was pretty interesting to see so i just wanted to throw that in there just because we were talking about variations of different games because that can affect uh people's abilities to play um like i feel like there's like a a pre-sako era and then there's a sako era of players and like the dogstalker series and like i feel like that that there's a dynamic that could change if there was a game where you could play as like any version of a Dostalker character in one system, um, I think it would have like an interesting sort uh, of uh, play out. Well, there there was um, there was a Vampire oh, right, yeah. Chronicle for matching service. Oh, for, for matching the, service, the yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that that was ported to the uh, PSP, and mm -hmm. I, I think that's um, that's one of the yeah that's that's maybe like one of the last versions of the game that a lot of people had access to. You know, yeah. outside of the compilations. Yeah, I have that on PSP. It's great. Nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a yeah. lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. That's, isn't that the one that has, like, the super amazing art by Kino Nishimura? Yeah, that's it the does. one. That, isn't, uh, the, the, isn't the subtitle, like, the, the Chaos 
Tower, Crash, Ah, this artwork. Oh my god. Oh my it's god. Beautiful. That's one of the best artworks in And and, and I'm all... a Bengus stand, like, you know, through and through, but that piece for like Doc Slacker is like, oh my god, like this is amazing. Yeah, it really, really is. That's nice. what you want. Just just you're talking about the, the, the cover art? Yeah, the cover art, yeah. <gasps> oh, oh my god. Yeah, yeah. With yes. uh, you know, with Morrigan and Lilith on the on the foreground, and all the others are in the background with the red eyes, and there's a giant moon. Oh my God, this one is incredible. Yeah, it's oh, like, it's... and and it's it's interesting because Kino is such a humble artist, but God, she yeah. made such beautiful mm. stuff. Did you know I interviewed him? Did I tell him? No. No, he's super humble guy. Like, uh, you're, I, I interviewed him and uh, during the the the, the SF five. You're talking right? about Ikeno, right? Yeah, Ikeno, yeah. The Ikeno yeah, yeah. art, not not Kinu Nishimura, right? No, no, the Ikeno art, yeah. Yeah, because mm -hmm. Kinu also did a really nice illustration too. But and, uh, yeah, but uh, Ikeno okay. is such an humble guy that's terrifying because you're like, you know, I go to the interview and the trivia, I crashed my car to going at the interview. Oh <laughs> so, wow. Oh. So I, I almost crashed first on the on the on the high speed road because someone uh, basically made me go inside uh, a big truck. But the, you know the the back of the trunk was higher than my car, so I basically went under the top sure. of, the, oh of it. And after that, I crashed an Austin Mini uh, on a red light in Paris. And, uh, oh my god! <laughs> Damn. And I had, a, you know, an autostopper with me and the guy, it was like he had first and almost had a, a car accident. And after that, he actually had a car accident. And after a car accident, he was like, oh, th th there's a, a subway station here. I think I'm going to go now. <laughs> because the guy was basically coming back from burying his, uh, his grandmother. And he was oh. to live in Canada with his wife three three days after that so i i think i oh my god i, I was so in shock i think well anyway so i came in the in the interview and when you interview daigo you know you're like you're like you're the most amazing guy ever and he's like oh no, no I, i'm nothing because there's there's akiman there's bengus there's nishimura and you're like but you're super good and he's like no 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 akiman 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 <laughs> Stop it! I mean, it's but you know what though? That's like the that's the ebb and flow of like an artist though. Because even Ching, Kim Jong Il said that like he was True. just like, oh man, like you know, there's artists out there that like, you know, I wish I could draw. Like I'm like, what? <laughs> like like you literally just create life when you touch paper. Like what? Yeah. You know, but it's that's that's part of the you know, the journey. I mean, you know, there's people that have said stuff to me online where I'm like, man, are you joking? Are you trolling me? Like, like, oh my God, I wish I was as good as you. I'm like, man, do you know how much I study? Do you know how much, like, I, like, look up to Bengus and, like, just stare at, like, a forearm that he drew for, like, six hours and, like, how did he make this work this way? Like, how did, you know, it, that's just part of it. I think that's one of the beautiful things about, like, trying to hone a skill. I was speaking about this recently with a few friends. Like, for example, when we speak about, like, art, 
what we th- what we mean when we think about this. Like we could go martial arts, culinary arts, visual arts, like audio, like music arts. Like, do you know what I mean? Like there's so many different areas of these. And then when you see someone cultivate a skill and a craft over such a long period of time, and they've been able to hone it and put in the practice and the time and all of the rehearsals and all the dress rehearsals for all the big events or opens or whatever, it's great to see like the fruits of all that labor and you really get to appreciate it on another level. I think that's why so many people who are into like different areas of creative media, like games, fighting games, art, music, food, like all different things, martial arts like myself, like when people sort of converge and find the areas where these intersect, you get like a real appreciation for how hard it is to be good at anything really how much effort it takes for how much you know time out of your own life and the specific amounts of practice and consistent practice it takes to be able to get and build up a muscle memory and a repertoire of language and all these different things and the concepts you need to be able to understand and stuff when i look at people sorry to go off on a tangent but when i look at people who fight like in real life and when i look at people who like play fighting games there are so many different like terms and different things that on that honestly like make so much sense um, across both ways for example, like when we think about parrying in third strike, like when people try and kick me, I parry with my arm and then kick them back. And it's like, it's like a real thing, which you can just do. So you have to think about like the ways in which these actually like really, truly sort of converge and mix together. And then you see like, a, you see another form of like beauty in that. It's great. It really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Adam, you, uh, you send us the, the, the art by uh, Nishimura. I, if you if people want to see the 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 Daigo Ikono interview I made, just type in YouTube Daigo Ikono interview. That's the first link, and they'll activate the the the, the English subtitles. So you'll see. And there's a trivia I said like uh, because I was like, okay, give me something you know interesting, something about the, the, the golden era. And it was like it, he explained that uh, uh, there was a lot of pressure uh, between uh, and rivalities between artists, and he said that Nishimura was frightening because was carrying him because she would stay after hours when everybody was was gone and she would check the arts of everyone and will will say oh that's bad <laughs> <laughs> oh no yeah he explained it this way but uh <laughs> and uh it was like oh that's frightening <laughs> Yeah, I'll definitely have to check out that interview. We'll have to make sure that gets posted as well off the uh, podcast account, I'm sure. She was, she was yeah. saying, actually, she was saying, like, she will watch the thing and she will whisper that she will not listen to the person who created this if she didn't like wow. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's terrifying. Wow. Quite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost like the the artists are are just as competitive as the people that played the games competitively. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's yeah. yeah, like that's what it that's what it reminds me of. Because uh, I remember uh, I was playing CBS two competitively, Capcom versus SNK two, and I was kind of one of the few people who played Kyo, and I was really good with Kyo, and like people were just like, oh man, like you know. And in my head, I'm like, well. There's Japanese players like Koen Maru and like there are people that are really good with Kyo. I'm just okay. But I, you know, I was pretty good with him. But I remember this one kid, he told me, he's like, hey man, I've been practicing Kyo. And it was at a tournament. And I saw a match of him and he got destroyed. And at this time, like <clears throat> the camaraderie in the arcade environment is very different than what people would expect now. But I remember him looking over at me and he looked like a fallen soldier. 
and like he had disappointed me and it was like the sad part about it was like I was kind of on my lieutenant south burning at the time so when I looked at him I was like don't use kill again <laughs> like Aww. he he was just like okay he's like but when you see me use him again I'll be better and sure enough I saw him in a tournament and he was ripping it up hard and nice. it made me so happy to see and he was just like I had he was like I had to I had to show you that like I can learn this character. And he turned out to be a really technically sound player too. Like, like even in the later years of CBS two, when CBS two got a lot harder to deal with, uh, he was actually one of the few people that like really was strong. So like, I, I showed him admiration big time. I was just like, man, don't worry about that. That first time, man. Like I was like, yo, I got, I got beat up pretty bad too. When I started using Kyo. although I didn't really get beat up that bad. And like, it was kind of like, I wanted him to understand that like, nobody's perfect and that like you overcame like your obstacles and you did really well so it was like yeah. a it was a cool experience man like just just so it, it the, the dynamic of the artist at capcom being that way is like really cool to know that like they were hungry as fuck that's awesome <laughs> yeah definitely it's a really important thing whenever you're trying to achieve a goal and just in general or whenever you're trying to make anything just to be able to not only just like be hungry but to be able to accept a more critical side of yourself and then also to work with it. It can be very tough. Of course, like everyone has their own different like pitfalls and their own ways of dealing with things. But yeah, I think it's really important, especially like at times like now when there's such an ease of access to so many great pieces of art, so many great people out there doing all sorts, so many great developers, so many great martial artists, so many great people who are great at everything. And everyone has their own struggles. So yeah, it's important to remember that everyone's on their own journey and everyone's going to be, you know, going at things at their own pace. And that's okay. That's cool. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's... Oof. I mean, both competitively and artistically for me, like that's been like a, like a thing, you know, I, I you know, people, some people get mad at me about it, you know, cause I, I think, I don't know if Richmond was there when this happened, but I know like, um, I was talking to Josh, one of my friends at Sky one day and I was like, you know, I think I'm really starting to understand Third Strike more now. And this was <laughs> like, I think like a year or two after they knew me and knew how I played the game then. And they were just like, what the fuck man you're an asshole and i was like what are you talking about i was like i'm just i feel like i have a better understanding of like how to play the game and like you know but from someone else's perspective it's like oh but you're you know you know you do this you do that whatever it is whether it's cooking or art or whatever but it's like everybody's journey is different so exactly it's like, yeah you know the perspective you have is that like you're looking at the people that are ahead of you but like you're forgetting about the people that may be alongside of you or, you know, for lack of a better word, behind you, and they're looking at, like, the success that you're having, and they see that as, like, an inspiring thing. So, like, that perspective is always going to be a unique one. Um, and I think that's just part of being a creative person, though. Mm, definitely, definitely. Yeah, one thing I, what I wanted to mention just very shortly as well, like... Well, it's just amazing to think about the ways that people have just been able to enjoy the art of the series so much on different levels. But like one of my favorite things that I just wanted to hop on about for a little bit was the stages of these games. Like they're so so yes. cool. Like yes. they're beautiful, beautiful, beautiful yeah. stages. For example, like just speaking about like Vampire Savior Two, just like some of my favorite stages from the whole series are in there. You got beautiful stages like you got Red Thirst, like an Anacarsis stage. Like, absolutely amazing. It's this beautiful mm. stage set in the Sahara Desert, this giant moon in the background, yeah. and, like, these beautiful, like, sand dunes and everything. It's great. Like, do you guys have a favorite stage? Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. My favorite is Tower of Arrogance. Let's go. Tell uh, me about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is a Felicia stage. 
and uh, basically it's uh, oh my god it's inception the the, the in in a stage before inception because basically you are fighting on the side of a building and the camera is yep. looking like it's um i don't know what you say in english but it, it, it's a dip, like uh, it's going, it, it's looking down, down, vertically, down vertically, yeah, yeah, vertically down. There's an helicopter flying around, so uh, you, you are seeing the top of the helicopter, but your two characters, they are fighting on the on the windows of the building, and that's freaking amazing. Like the, the perspective is incredible, yeah. and the, the music too is incredible. We'll talk about the music later, but uh, I love this one, and I also love the Iron Horse, Iron Terror stage, you know, with nice. the train. The train. There's a big uh, Final Fantasy VI uh, vibe on this, you know, where where uh, you can suplex <laughs> the train <laughs> with Sabin, like a, a train, but with uh, with the mouse, the the mouse that can that has teeth. And oh my god, that's so creepy! I love it. Basically, yeah, there's this, there's this giant train, and yeah, it has like lots of eyes and like mouths and like teeth popping out of it. It's very, very strange to look at, but it's just literally just like a giant steam train. And one of my favorite parts about that actually is the fact that like, there's a there's a skeleton driver like driving yeah. the front as well. Yeah. Like very, very cool stuff. I, I love stuff like that. Mm, yeah. I love I love those uh, the stages because they. You you haven't you, you didn't you don't see a lot of stages like that anymore. Like there was there were a lot of stages that, that looked like that in Capcom fighting games at the time. And uh, I mean you can you know take some stages from the the from Marvel vs Capcom two or I don't know even CVS two a little bit like with the the ice uh, stage. Yeah. But, stage that are very dynamic that change you know the, the the setting a little bit they are very 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 different because you know i'm kind of bored by you know a stage in the street a stage on the roof with ryu and a stage in japan <laughs> and things like that and suddenly you're like on the side of a building or you're in the desert or you are you know on the on this freaking train without speaking to you and that's so amazing and of course there are all the other stages have something, but those three, those two stages plus Fetus of God. Oh my yes. God! Okay, I gotta, I gotta talk about that. That is uh, my favorite fighting game stage same here. of all time. Yeah, <laughs> same here. It's, it's um, I'm, I'm sure if you're listening, I, I, I'm sure many of you can can just conjure up the image in your mind already. But um, just in case you're not familiar. Fetus of God is Jetta's stage, and um, you know we talked. Uh, we spent a good amount of time in the last podcast on how awesome Jetta is as a character. But uh, real quick, his backstory is, um, you know, he's uh, one of the lords of the Makai. He's like a very, very powerful demon, and his quest is to um, gather souls uh, from, you know, all over the realm. And basically, sort of, he wants to reboot the universe uh, and create like a new god. And uh, you know, so this this is sort of the the fruits of his labor in progress right it's, it's literally the, the other stages had the names the, every stage is a great name the names are very like representative right mm -hmm. like there's yeah you know, tower of arrogance you know um uh, forever but, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly yeah. yeah but but this is literally a fetus of god <laughs> like that, yeah. that is the stage and it's uh everything's made out of flesh and there's like a giant baby in the background <laughs> yep. and 
Uh, it's 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 in you're in it's in the womb with it, and you, you, its head is transparent. You can see its brain. It occasionally opens its eyes, and its its eyes are like backlit, like they're emanating light. And it 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 smiles a little bit, and like it's got an eye on its foot. <laughs> it's very strange. And uh, and, and, and there's yeah. these things all around it. Um, it's got its umbilical cord. And then just all around the stage, there I don't even even know what to call them. There's just these pulsating little things. They're they're they're, they're extremely these little phallic mushroom flesh. (laughs) 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 It's just the most insane stage I've ever seen. I remember when we got Darkstalkers at home, and my older brother saw that stage. He was like. Never pick this stage again. <laughs> it's like too disturbing. It's like we're never fighting on this stage again. <laughs> um, yeah. Do, this... do you guys remember seeing that for the first time? Definitely. Oh my god! Like I, I think. Uh, I mean, for me, it's like you know, I, I kind of was like in love with Jetta. So like getting to Jetta and like the thing that was interesting for me on that stage was that you know he has his own introduction. And there's a very small, like, ambient track. I won't get into it, but, like, it, it complements the feel of, of his presence. But it's like, you know, he's coming down from this vertical column, and then you're, you're looking at all this other stuff going on around him. And it's like, once that column disappears, and, like, you see his color scheme, and then you look at the colors of, like, the stage itself, like, there's a unity that happens um, visually that, like, is really breathtaking to me. So it's like, you've got, you know, this baby... Uh, and you've got like what looks like I don't even know if it's like mini organisms also growing because it also made me think like when I was a kid I was like this is the main baby but like are there other little like things trying to grow into like babies too like it just there's always so much to look at and it was like terrifying but fascinating at the same time like I would I would be afraid to let my parents see that stage like, like if I was playing it or if like relatives were over, like I would like change the channel. Like if they came by just because like, you know, to, <laughs> to an unassuming person, it's like, what kind of d- devil game are you playing? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And like, this was before, you know, like 4chan and image boards and like, you know, people could just see really messed up things at the, at their, any time of the day. Like yeah, this yeah. was one of the most disturbing things I'd ever seen in my life at that point. <laughs> Yeah, and it was it 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 has a kind of the end of Evangelion vibe a little yeah, bit, but yeah. even oh. more disturbing, you know, because uh, th- there's no like fetus babies in in Evangelion, but uh, there's definitely something. But it's more graphic, even more graphic, and even more, you know, there's a texture on him, you know, there's a text. There are like I don't know, like holes on the skins and veins mm-hmm. and. Ah, oh, it's oh. like a, it, it, it's it's like an all-encompassing like thing of like phobias that people might have. Like it, there's something <laughs> about that stage that like it it just ignites like a particular feeling. And for me, it was like a combination yeah. of being uncomfortable, but also being fascinated by like seeing mm-hmm. all of these things come together to make a stage. Definitely, you know. Like I think the only other time I've ever felt this uncomfortable, but was fascinated, was like I think there's like a contra boss where there's like one point perspective, like that was weird. And then there's a, a battle scene in Bubblegum crisis, the original OVA that is, there's like a boss that this is like a amorphous blob of things, like a big boomer 
that is like almost like a fetus of God boomer. Like that and uh, the baby from Parasite Eve. Like, right. like those mm-hmm. are those are things that like was like I will never forget how uncomfortable uh, it made me feel, but it was also fascinating. Like uh, this stage is just oh, man, like everything about it, it just works. I'm glad I didn't saw this stage when I was a kid because I will have nightmares. <laughs> to be Just kind of, like, for example, it reminds me of you know some kind of um, of things you can see as a kid that marks you. And for, for me, one of the movies that is you know it's for children. But uh, have you seen the Secret of Nim? Yes. The, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do, do you remember yeah. the end where there's the 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 um, or at the middle where there's uh, the 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 flashback with the rats in the lab. Oh, yeah. oh my god, that's the same kind of feeling I have with this stage and this movie, or the end of the movie where there's the the sinking house and things like that. That that's the same kind of you know of oh, it's, no. <laughs> you know, you just you just reminded me that uh, I actually have a weird fear of the dog from uh, Never Ending Story. I actually <gasps> do not like oh that dog. God. It scares the hell out of me. Fal- Falco, I think. Yeah. It was. That dog scares oh, really? the hell the out of dragon? me. Yes. Oh. I feel like oh. that thing is real. Like, <laughs> when I was a kid, I thought it was real. Yeah. And I was, like, afraid to go in the woods, like, when it was, like, rainy or foggy. Like, because I thought that the fog brought him there. <laughs> so, like, it would freak me out. And I was like, oh, my God. And there was a dog in my neighborhood that was, like, obviously, like, a normal human-sized dog. But, like, it reminded me of that dog. And I was like, oh, shit, dude. Like... If I go outside and it's foggy, he's gonna get big as fuck. He's gonna stare at me and creep me the fuck out. I think it's really interesting when we have these kind of memories because, like, yeah, just the utilization of like a cosmic horror type vibe with like practical areas of horror and like the effects that we all remember from like previous films as well. Like, yeah, it really does mark your mind in a very interesting kind of way. Like, I think what this stage does, it really interestingly, like, it utilizes the um, the ability to show, like, the materials and, like, the organic nature of them, but then kind of twist them in a kind of, like, sort of really weird, kind of, like, eldritch kind of a fashion. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, really, really strange way. Like, things that we kind of, that we kind of vaguely, like, recognize as being, like, flesh or vaguely recognize as being something, like, flesh-colored or, like, or sort of, like, sinew and, like, muscle-colored, but, like, twisted into different shapes and different, you know, general forms and things. Like, it's always going to elicit a very a very strange reaction from people mm-hmm. like not with like a true fear of the unknown it's kind of like a fear of the familiar in a sense it's very cool yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. there's a yeah. the, the tower of aggregate stage actually reminded me of another movie that was frightening me frightening me when i was a kid do, do you do you have you seen the the king and the mockingbird by no. uh oh, by, the the french movie yeah the french the movie, animated by, movie by, yeah uh, by paul grimaud yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. and uh, Jack Jack Prévert, and there's a uh, you know if you if you watch this movie as a kid, you you'll have night perspective and staircase nightmares for the rest <laughs> of your life, and that's an incredible movie. I think Ghibli picked it for for releasing it in in DVD and Blu-ray in um, yeah 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 Japan yeah. actually. Yeah, they're huge fans of uh, Paul Grimal. Yeah, it's an incredible yeah. movie, and uh, and uh, I remember I had like nightmares about falling in stairs because of this, and uh, that's that's a big that's the you know the um, feeling that you can get from Toro of Arrogance. I think that's one of the reasons why I love also this stage, but all the stages of the game they they really make you feel that you are 
in a strange place, but you definitely the, the place could exist. Maybe there's some stages that I think doesn't work very well, like Vanity Paradise, because you know there's this kind of more traditional uh, Japanese. Uh, I don't know. Uh, click. It's, it's actually a very Chinese stage. Chinese, sorry, um, Chinese yeah, stage. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I actually love that stage. <laughs> I love it, love it, but I don't feel it doesn't express something, you know, like the others to me. Like uh, even the the the, the, the um, Queen Bee stage with the 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 plants, you know, they have it. It makes something yeah, green uh, scream. Yeah, like green scream. Yeah, I don't know, but um, this one, Vanish Paradise, I'm not sure. <laughs> you, you know what? I get what you mean. You know what's interesting is, uh, and, and and I may be alone in this, but Concrete Cave actually yeah. is uh, it's 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 both calming for me, but it's also unsettling. And it wasn't like this until like I got a lot older. But um, you know, living in like huge metropolitan areas, you know, I worked, I always worked in cities, and mm -hmm. like sometimes, you know. You hang out with friends or something after work and, you know, it gets a little late, you know, you're going home. Um, something about, like, for me, like, when it gets to be 2.53 o'clock in the morning, like, people start to kind of spill out and they're, like, going home. But, like, there's this sort of aura that's in the air where you're, like, nothing's happening right now. Yeah, definitely. So something yeah. could easily, like, spark off at any moment. That's what I feel when I look at uh, the concrete cave stage. Like it's the area you're walking home where can, you went yeah, out. Yeah, can a you place. describe the stage to people? It looks like basically like a, a quiet street, and it looks like yep. there's like a like a entrance to like an underground like subway station, maybe. Yeah. Um, like it, it. There's something about that that um it elicits a particular type of feeling where like nothing's happened. It's not necessarily calm before the storm, but I guess mm -hmm. you could use that as like a, yeah. uh, a way to describe it. But it's like at any moment, something could go off. And given that this game is dealing with like the supernatural and like all types of uh, different things that are not even necessarily associated with like typical human fears, uh, it broadens that, that feeling because it's like literally anything. Yeah. And, and the, the, the subway entrance is actually, uh, doesn't have the same architecture and uh, of the than the rest of the stage, you know, because mm -hmm. if you remove the, the the subway entrance, it's actually a Street Fighter Alpha stage, you know, an ugly yeah. one. But uh, yeah. well, and but if you look at it, like the stones, the lights, you know, mm -hmm. the, the light doesn't seem to be electric light. The the yeah, stones, the, the stones yeah, like does does not fit with light. the rest. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't fit there. It's not supposed to be there, but it's just a subway station in a sense. So there's a it's normal, but it's not, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. One thing what I wanted to, what I wanted to mention very quickly was just the fact that, like, what James was saying about the fact that there's no one there as well. Like, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people over all, all throughout the world over the past like, year with this pandemic, we've seen scenes just like this, yeah. right? Like, just like massive cities, mm -hmm. like where no one is now. Like different images of that. I know here in the UK, it's been a very like big deal. Like in some areas, like a bunch of months ago, near the start of the year, where like just in massive cities, where obviously they would normally be full, packed out with people, just no one there. So much so that even like in some places in the, in our country here, like just different farm animals would just start roaming around streets and things like that, and like because it would be like a ghost town literally. So yeah, no one out anywhere. It reminds me a lot of this stage. And just one other thing as well. That I just wanted to hark on for a bit. The fact that again, like when you mentioned the fact that like the light here, 
like it really does sort of like emanate in such a really threatening almost kind of way because like it's completely different than all of the other colors around it right like you've got like a really bright yellow and orange a very reddish kind of hue on like the rocks and on the actual stones themselves but if you look around it it's all like cold blues grays lilac kind of purple very light blue tinted everywhere so it's a very interesting like juxtaposition it's like why is this place that's like so sort of like hot looking almost like why is it so warm here why is it like so so foreboding and ominous it's very interesting to stare at so it's very cool the michael bickerel straight stage yeah basically yeah. <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. I associated michael with the dark stalkers we can close the podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <you> did it. <laughs> But yeah, I, really, I love this stage so much. All of the yeah. stages in this game, they really have their own sort of like narrative that you could speak about for hours and hours. But yeah, yeah. Concrete Cave, like another just like really, really cool one. Which even, I want to, oh, go ahead. Even the deserted chateau, uh, yeah. which is Morrigan and Lilith, you know, there's this Disneyland style with uh, the hairy lightning again but <laughs> it's in the background but if you look on the foreground there's like an, a sour uh, exit <laughs> with with oh, a disgust, wow. with disgusting uh, water and a demon a sculpture of the demon on the on the sour exit and you're like oh okay so we are basically at the you know uh, background of the castle Yep, and uh, the the things that uh, you you're not supposed to see uh, yeah. in the Disney movie, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah, is like a sewer grade, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yep. It looks and there, there's like and there's a, a skull, you know, uh, in the um, in the pond in the sewer pond. So basically, it's probably where after they finish eating, every everything is trashed, and it <laughs> yeah, ends. Out, yeah. yeah, and it ends there, and you're fighting there, like in the. That's uh, it's it's like you know Morrigan and Lilith as are having a fight in the background and doesn't want to, uh, I don't know, show it to other people. You know, <laughs> you 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 live you 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 make your ah you clean your dirty uh, laundry uh, in family like. Uh. Sure. Yeah, they're taking it out back. Mm-mm. It's pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Just one of my other, like last one of my last things to say here. Just um, one of my favorite stages overall is like Forever Torment. Mm. It's basically this like beautiful stage which shows off this giant area of like basically just like torture. It's like a big torture chamber basically. Mm-hmm. It's really really cool looking. But yeah, like the music as well on that stage is great. But one of my favorite things about it actually is the fact that like there's just so much going on in this stage. And not only is it implied by all of like the the massive like you know spurts of blood everywhere, there's a giant guillotine which is like one of the main sort of like focus points of the actual stage itself as well, with like covered in like yeah. blood and like all the rest of that. But it's just great in terms of like actual composition and like the lighting as well. It really just does look amazing. Like they've but got like the colors are so yeah, good. Yeah, they, exactly. Yeah, so vivid, so bright, and yeah, you just you get to see like the way the light like bounces off so many different objects, right? So you've got like a big like wrecking ball with like spikes like sort of like swaying back and forth in the foreground. But then if you sort of like zoom in and like look into the back, you've got like different like flame lit torches. You've got like a big like it's almost like a big like roller covered in spikes. I would assume mm-hmm. I assume would like crush people. But like that's the thing. It, this stage makes you think about like what's going on in so many different ways. Like near the very center of the stage, if you look all the way at the back, it's like this sort of like. Um, there's a person that's been cut in half, like they're like backlit by flames. It's like damn, like this is kind of like it's like a very like biblical sort of like look into what like hell would like kind of look like in a sense, right? Like this giant area of like 
literal like forever torment, right? Like that's what that's supposed to be. So yeah, yeah it, it's a really interesting stage. It's one of my favorites. It's really really cool looking. And the the, the cloth that uh, is on the on the guillotine also is uh, very evocative. Like uh, it's it's like they just you know cut someone and uh, they they remove the body with the left the yeah. the clothing. So that's uh, uh yeah yeah yeah. I, I just noticed on the guillotine, um, there's space for three people. Yeah. There's nine holes, <laughs> oh, three yeah. for their heads, six for mm-hmm. their hands. So it's like... <laughs> yeah. It's a family guillotine. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Really you is know, wild. Just so much storytelling built into this stage. Yeah. And the colors are so beautiful. The purple and yeah, the yeah. pink and yeah. oh my God. Yeah. This game. Is great. Really this game. Is great. Yeah. It's, it's one of my it's favorites. Lit, yeah. It's mm-hmm. lit like an old, maybe like a 70s horror exploitation film. That just that, that, it's that, got a Hasu vibe. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Like Hasu or like a, like a Hammer horror film. Or, yeah, but yeah. with, but with a, a very, very talented art director. <laughs> <laughs> right, <Very> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's almost too good, you know, for, for being a, an horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I get what you um, mean. Yeah. It's so strange to look at just because, again, like they each tell like a little bit of their own kind of story. But just like what Richmond said there, it's like the more that you look at it, the more that you find. And it's really interesting because, like, again, you would think that you would think that the the main action, obviously, with the with the people fighting, with the with the different characters fighting, that's the most important thing. But it's like just having like no one here to look at and nothing else to really focus on but the background. You get drawn into yeah. that too on a whole other level. So like. Yeah, it's a really successful, really successful um, piece of art. It's it's great. Yeah. I um I I just want to speak on uh, Vanity Paradise a little bit. Um, Go ahead. I, <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I said I didn't. Oh no, no, no. It's um I I think first of all it's it's there to kind of be more of a calming stage just to provide variety, right? Because like you, the, the thing about this game is the stages are so varied, and I think out of all of the Darkstalkers too, this one really feels like a horror game. Like they really ramped up that aspect of it. Um, but then you know something like Vanity Paradise, um, it's it is like the most straightforward stage. There's yeah. no crazy perspective. Um, it, it could almost be like an alpha stage, but then there, there's like little details about it that still make it much more like supernatural. It's um, so, so, oh, just to describe the stage, it's uh, it, it's it's basically like a, like an ancient Chinese-looking setting, maybe like a Tang Dynasty uh, mm-hmm. setting. Uh, uh, people are dressed in old Chinese robes, uh, very long flowing robes and like long scarves, the kinds that you would see on like statues. Um, and, and, you know, Tang Dynasty China, um, the imagery there is uh, uh, really influenced like the rest of uh, East Asia. So like a lot of um, Japanese uh, art and statues, like the Neo-Guardian stuff you see in Buddhist temples, a lot of that is uh, based off of Tang Dynasty China, which in turn was uh, all about um, uh, filtering stuff uh, from India, right? Because this was when Buddhism was really catching on, uh, taking like Buddhist imagery and then uh, giving it a very Chinese spin. Um, and then, so I think that I've never actually looked up the the lore for the stage, but I, I feel like I could just tell looking at it, uh, and especially from the name Vanity Paradise, this is where like a bunch of uh, immortals, Chinese immortals hang out. Um, you know, it's often translated as like fairies 
And uh, it, it really reminds me of like old Chinese movies that are based off of like uh, stage operas. Um, like just the particular sepia tone of it. And then you have like the old, the old style boats. And um, it's like a stage actually, because it, it's very flat. Like, like, I mean like a literal like play stage. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's very simple actually compared to the other stages. And um, seeing that, it, it's funny how we keep bringing up the memories that get evoked by these stages. For me, when I see that stage, I'm reminded of like watching very old Chinese movies with my my grandpa, like really old ones from like 50s and 60s, where uh, they were basically just uh, film adaptations of like classic, you know, operas. And uh, this really nails that vibe. I, I have no idea. Like like Zoo Warriors, they... you think? Hmm? Like like the old like Zoo Warriors type movies or? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm talking like yeah. Uh, even I, I wouldn't even know what some of these movies are called in, in English. Like, uh, um, let me give me a second. No, it's it's totally cool. You can just say uh, yeah. You, I'm sure you'll find out like about that for later. But like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll hop in real quick though, just whilst you're researching that real quick. One of my favorite things about this stage as well, we'll have to like post these, I suppose, so people can actually know what we're talking about. But like, it's the there's a there's a concept in in art called um like line weight, and mm-hmm. like it's basically something which you can use to evoke a variety of different like feelings and emotions and different types of concepts as well. But one of the coolest things about this, in terms of like a pixel art perspective, is the fact that like they've really made this stage feel very like painter painterly and like picturesque, and like they've gone and like they've doubled up the different um, outlines which they wanted to utilize. But they've also gone and used, like, colors from inside of the actual, like, you know, lines that they're trying to, you know, color and draw in. And they've put them actually, like, outside. So they're kind of, like, over-anti-alias, like, their own, like, their own outlines, if that makes sense. So they've just gone out, they've gone over the lines, in a sense. It's like when you're a kid and you kind of, like, you know, when you have to draw outside of the lines, you to draw inside the lines. But when you're a kid, you don't always have that amount of control. They've kind of, like, played on that, in a sense, but done it in a really beautiful way. Where it makes these sort of like really picturesque like pieces of art, and they feel just like paintings. They feel just like different pieces of art which you would see in any type of museum or through any type of really cool art website. It's just great to look at. They they've got a really interesting classical kind of feel to them. Like they've just been like painted on instead of like placed by hand by hand by pixels. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, or even just looking at, like, the dithering on the ground and stuff like that as well. Like, just the way they evoke, like, different shadows and, like, the different, obviously, the the mounds of dirt and, just, like, the roughness of it. The sort of, like, the different, like, divots in the ground and just the way that the light would play off the shadows and everything else like that. Like, it, it's really cool. I really like the way it looks. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, I'm, 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 uh... He's trying to find out the name of this thing, right? I got tunnel vision. I'm trying, <laughs> trying to remember, um, you know, one, one, one It's cool, it's cool. Yeah, there's so many other just, like, really cool stages in general, to be honest, but, yeah, like, those that we've mentioned so far are all great. It really is awesome. I wonder, honestly, like, it would be interesting to see, like, a sort of cutting room floor type dive into these stages and find out, like, not only just how they were made, but, like, what other directions they were considering going in. Do you know what I mean? Like, what other types of ideas they had, 
or other types of things didn't make it in as stages. It'd be really interesting because these stages go all over the world and obviously to different places that obviously aren't real, but they take, they take that sort of really cool supernatural aspect and then they utilize these beautiful pixel art techniques in general, really strong foundational understandings of art to make these beautiful stages. It's, it's really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree so much. Oh, Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Sorry? If uh, the movies, <laughs> I was thinking <laughs> of, um, you can look up uh, the actress uh, Ivy Ling Po. Um, so she was a uh, famous actress in like the '60s, uh, Chinese actress, uh, and um, she played a lot of she played men in a lot of movies, hmm. um, and uh, she was um, she was in the Shaw Brothers version of uh, Mulan, which which made her uh, which was very popular. So yeah, that one she played a woman playing a man in the story, but um, after that, she just straight up just played dudes in a lot of movies. <laughs> like she would be the leading man, like the handsome leading man in in like a lot of films after that, and uh, a lot of them were like adapted from uh, you know opera and folklore and. Um, yeah, the Vanity Paradise stage uh, captures sort of this uh, the old timey look of uh, this era of movies like really well, where where everything was shot on a stage. You know, they yeah. they, they rarely actually shot like uh, outdoors and stuff. Like, uh, has a very unique look. Yep. Is that like the female prince? Is that what you're talking about? Um, let's see. Uh, that's, so, one of the, that's one of the films listed that she was in. I'm just looking it up right now. Like, yeah, it seems interesting. Because you yeah, said it's, yeah. a, it's a Shaw Brothers film. Yeah, from like 1964. Hey, damn. Yeah, yeah. She's been in, uh, in movies since her first movie was from 51. She's been around for wow. a while. Wow. Yeah, and she was, uh, she was one of the early Shaw Brothers uh, stars. Yeah. She was in, oh my gosh, so many movies. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, my, my grandpa really liked her. Uh, so I, I, I watched a lot of her movies as a kid. That's cool. That's super cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Did you guys want to get into some music stuff now? Yeah, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm oh. off for that. <laughs> I, I, I just had one one more thing to say about cool. um, about uh, Fetus of God. Go for it. I, I, I think it was inspired by that old, very famous uh, Life magazine photo shoot called the drama of life before birth wow. uh, and there was a it was a i think a swedish photographer um his name was leonard nilsson and uh he developed a technique for shoot, oh. shooting like through a very microscopic camera oh my and God. he was the first person oh. to film to photograph um like a, a, an actual living fetus human fetus in the womb and that was just like a big deal. So if, if, if you have some time, Google the drama of life before birth. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, those were super influential uh, photos. Oh, I my, think God. oh my God. Right, oh, my right. God. Oh, my God. That's it, right? Oh, oh this is. <laughs> oh, yeah. We found it. Found the reference picture for the stage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We found it. Yeah. Okay. Powerful. Oh my god. Yeah, they're really, really beautiful photos. I think yeah. they're incredible, yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Really remarkable. <gasps> oh, that's like so literally that... the template for the stage. Like... Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's wow. what what's incredible is that the the um, we were talking about oh it's you know the granularity, the texture and the the photographs. They 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 really have this and the stage takes from this. So yeah. <gasps> oh my god. 
that's really interesting. Picture. Don't don't watch it in public. That's uh, <laughs> that's kind of strange. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's uh, not that's uh, not you know the the traditional cute pictures of uh, you know babies that uh, most people. Yeah, no. Not quite. Yeah, not quite. Yeah, definitely, definitely not quite. Yeah. It's so graphic. I still think they're cute. <laughs> I think they, they're a little bit cute. It's, it's still weird and fleshy and stuff, but it's, yeah, it's yeah. a baby. It's a little, <laughs> little grubby thing. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I was really like, coincidentally, when this game originally came out in the late 90s, I, I was actually really into that photo shoot. And I, I just really was, I went through this phase where I just painted a lot of like fetuses. And then when that yeah. stage came out, I was like, this game speaks to me. Like, on a <laughs> That's, you know, the, the meme of the guy that goes into the hole. This is my yes. hole. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Richmond. So this is my stage. Yeah. Yeah. This is my stage. Okay. All right, All right. dudes, let's, let's get let's into that music. music. <laughs> I know, I know, I know you guys got some good things to say about the music. Oh, man. Cool. Uh, God, like I feel like with Vampire Savior, uh, there is a particular approach that, like, I mean, you hear different tracks in different games. You know, I mean, I'm speaking from like fighting games or you know any game in general, but I'm focused on fighting games. You hear a track and you'll love it, and it's great. And it, you're like, okay, I like this. This feels like it embodies the character, or I just like the music, right? But I feel like with Vampire Savior, there was a specific type of attention to make sure that there was like at least 95 to 99% like cohesion between what happens on the stage, how it correlates to a particular character and the compositional structure of like the said track. Uh, and I feel like with um, fetus of God, um, I mean, <laughs> you talk about this stage forever, but you know, in terms of the, the music, um, it really embodies this idea of like being in the fetus of God, but not only that, but it also, it embodies like how you feel Jetta would feel being at this point of like, I've done it. I've like the task that I was set, you know, that was set before me, this is the fruit of its labor. And cause you feel it even in his intro music. Cause there's like a small little like uh chorus that plays, um, you know, as he's like descending uh, into the stage, and it's it's a beautiful track. It's probably like I don't know six, seven seconds or eight seconds. Capcom has this thing with making like eight seconds of glory in like every fighting game they've ever made. Yeah, like, <laughs> that there's always like one track that is like this is exactly eight seconds, and it gives you everything you need. And uh, it plays as he's coming down, and he's saying that uh, he's the beginning and the end. Um, and there's like an echo that, to me, even though he's speaking, I feel like it's a component to the track itself, because it like it it transitions so nicely into hearing like I guess like the the dungeon door close whenever when it, when it says ready and then fight and then the music just jumps in, mm. um, and there's something special that happens within this track as it's starting to gain its momentum. It's almost like uh, like an ASMR bass. <laughs> is kind of happening because they they play with the left side right side in terms of like the uh when when the bass the actually pounding, hits yeah. yeah and um for me it really draws me into the stage because it just makes me think of like the throbbing organisms all around the fetus like mm -hmm. all the things that you see that are kind of like pulsating like in the background 
um, it sort of embodies this feeling of like really being there. And then you hear like the operatic chorus start to like, you know, like creep its way in. It's, I believe it's the same vocalist that did the Q sound jingle for Vampire Savior because there's a particular yeah. like chor- operatic sound behind the Q sound jingle. So mm. it's like, you know, you have that started like playing in. And then it's like, you know, the track starts to build more and more. And like, one of the things I really like is I believe, I don't know if it always happens when uh, you beat the stage, but there's like, there's a certain part of the track that reminds me of how like Street Fighter 2 tracks would get when you were in the last round, like where you really start to feel the momentum building and like all these layers are compounding onto each other. And uh, like, it's a really cool dramatic effect because like, you know, when you beat Jetta, like the fetus starts like shaking, like it's about to like, you know, go into another stage of evolution or like birth. And it's like the yeah. whole background is like quaking and it, it just like the, the track itself embodies all of these feelings. And um, I think it's, it's not just well constructed, constructed, but just the cohesion between what the character represents in their story in the game to the point you're at when you get to the final boss like to the background itself like it just it's like it brings everything uh like full circle um it's definitely one of my favorite tracks uh in the game and i'll admit that there's some bias because i love judah as a character but i do feel that like uh it's probably one of the the strongest tracks in the game in my opinion yeah i feel the same way about so much music but i mean like just even thinking about again like concrete cave again just the fact that in this one, they've decided to add in so many cool like elements of jazz and like even some like bluesy like type feels as well. Just the way that like the song itself like utilizes so many different instruments. You've got like guitars in there. You've got like horn sections in there. Like the the percussive elements in that track are absolutely just like, off the charts in comparison to all the rest, in my opinion. Just like the way that you've got so much, so just so many different cool techniques in there. You've got like really nice elements of like staccato in there. You've got these beautiful, beautiful fills. And it's just a really relaxing and like tranquil piece of music. It's really, really nice. And again, even just thinking about another thing which is cool, like a, a Talbain wind theme. Just like it's just so beautiful to hear. It really just complements the character so well gives you like a really good idea of like how they might be feeling after another win just the fact that like they're so chill and so calm in the main theme mm. and then like they kind of just pick up the pace as well kind of being being a bit like a bit confident like a little bit arrogant almost but sort of like restrained in another sense just by the nature of like the way that the music sounds like it's not it's not laden by any like sort of screams or any really harsh like grungy like metal riffs or really interesting tones like that it's it's cool on a whole other level it's just very like chill and relax like they keep the essence of the character in there so nicely it's great that that wind theme and um concrete cave are two of my favorite pieces of music for like the entire series as a whole like this great uh, yeah really really cool i'm i'm listening to concrete cave right now and i i think we'll, we'll try to edit these into the podcast but um i i feel like it's kind of prescient of like what would come with uh the famous MVC2 uh, soundtrack, right? Like it's, mm. it's a really oh, yeah. weirdly relaxing track. It's, it's, yeah, it's very relaxing. Intense it has, game. Yeah. Yeah, it has a very like uh, Tetsuya Shibata or uh, Akino like vibe to it. Like it could have, it could have crept in, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. That's also one of my one of my favorite stages as well. Mm-hmm. In terms yeah. of like BGM. Yeah, I really, I really love the way it's like, this must be like a flute, I'm guessing, but I mean, like, it, it's the understanding of scales, 
right? And just like mm. the ability to actually just transition from one motif and theme to another in such a seamless and fluid fashion. It just, it's beautiful. It really is great. Like, as someone who's like been brought up in a very musical family, I play a couple instruments too, but I mean, like, it's just a really good testament to the fact that, like, if you understand these areas of music, you can really make something that feels like silk. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, the way it sounds, yeah. the way it moves around, yeah. like, it really is great. Yeah. And uh, I think there's one thing I wanted to also mention, just to piggyback one more time for uh, Jetta. Uh, his his theme, you know, I mentioned there's like an ASMR kind of feeling with the panning of the, the bass. There's one other track that I've heard where someone does something similar to this. This was years after. This wasn't like a, you know, they, this was, they were influenced by it. But it made me think of it. It was, uh, it was a song called Bankhead by uh, Kalela. Um, and it has like a similar sensibility or vibe to it and uh if you like that uh you know definitely check out their work because they that that track is is great but they're also a great musician as well um but i just wanted to kind of throw that in there just because like that's what it immediately like it reminded me of like years later i was like wait a minute i know i've gotten this feeling before but i don't see fetuses like what's going on <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but uh yeah. but yeah yeah it's by uh by uh Kalela. it's called bankhead if you're you're interested uh that's it's Bankhead. That's two words. The artist is Kalela, K-E-L-E-L-A. Yes. Hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think. Like other, man, there's so many really good tracks. In. There's so many. There's so so <laughs> many good ones. It's crazy actually, because like, like I was saying before, like the way that the the way that the um that all these different art forms and different pieces of media mix together, it's just so beautiful. Like this amazing music, it really does fit the entire world. It's just so well. It, it's just crazy just to think about the way that you get a good feel for the characters themselves through these themes, and then you get a yeah. better feel for the stages through the backgrounds, and then you get a better feel for the characters through the stages and think about where they are. It's like a big cycle, do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it yeah. all works together so well. Yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, and this is probably a thing where, like, I've, I've noticed recently there are certain things that I just love about music. Uh, I love uh, cellos and violins and bass, because I'm a weird disco head i think richmond made this joke that like in a previous life i was a japanese salary man that wanted to be like a disco guy or something <laughs> uh, what <laughs> and like you know it's true because a lot of my musical taste kind of harkens to uh like 70s music or music that samples music from the 70s and um like and i've noticed that there's certain instruments that that really like get to me but there's other things that i really like and it's the very strategic use of like chorus or operatic like the feel of like operaish music um because i love the q sound jingle for vampire savior i love Jetta's stage as i said before but when one other stage that has it is uh, i believe it's iron horse iron tear it's the boletta uh stage i believe that's the name of it is that right or is that no no, no i don't think that's the right stage name let me see <laughs> wait for whose stage sorry did you say for bb hood boletta Oh, cool, cool, cool. All right, one sec. Let me look this up uh, real quick. I, I think her stage was War Agony. Yeah, War Agony. That's War Agony. Yeah, it's War Agony. Because um, it has it in there, the, the operatic sort of, like, little, like, tension there. But what's great about it is it reminds me of, like, Ronnie Size and, like, Goldie. Like, like because there's, like, a slight drum and bass influence, mm. but it's not, like, overpowering where it's like, okay, this is a drum and bass track. <laughs> You know, like, it's just, like, these little small hints of these elements there, and there's this sort of atmospheric feeling. Um, uh, you're right. That I, yeah. Yeah, that... yeah, I'm pulling it up right now. Yeah, I, I never noticed 
the 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 pretty modern like uh, beat actually. Yeah, it is yeah. a very drum drum and bass ish. Yeah, because like, yeah, um, it, the the stage is it, it looks like the burnt out ruins of like uh, uh, some poor city during like World War Two, right? Yeah, like, mm -hmm. it's 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 definitely sometime in the past, and it, it conveys. Yeah, it's called war agony. It, it conveys like this, just this horrific aftermath of like what looks like a bombing or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there's something about that track that kind of makes you think about what it would be like to like walk through that, you know, as like a bystander, and you're just sort of you're being introduced to like this environment, you know, and it's like, well, this has always been this way, like, and you just happen to be here to like see it for yourself, but like it's always been this way. And that's kind of the, the feeling that I have, especially in the beginning stages of the track, you Definitely. know, like, like it's just kind of like, you've never been, you're just walking into it and you're like, Oh my God, like, you know, this is terrible, <laughs> but it's, it's just yeah. something fascinating about it that, uh, that I enjoy. And, you know, being a big fan of, uh, you know, like Ronnie size and like, uh, a lot of people from the drum and bass scene or people that are similar, like Goldie, um, that, that that track really like pulls me in and uh it does make me think like from far away like you don't you know we all know that bb hood is like the most happiest to kill somebody like she's evil but like from far away you would think oh it's like a frail child exactly uh, you know and then it's like as you you get closer you know there's like a certain part there's a, a certain part in the track where like there's like a like a synthesizer there's like a resonating sort of key that happens and it makes me think of her like menacing smile Hmm. you know and then the track changes again and it's kind of like oh okay we want to go back to like this idea of her being like this docile like sort of like frightened child in the like terrible like environment you know like it again it just goes back to the idea of like uh synergy with the narrative of like the characters mm -hmm. i like i like uh, what you what you said be the if i can if i can speak of my of my stage the when you when you first listen to the tower of arrogance stage does you know the the, the radio noise like uh like as if someone is uh turning the the his radio station in his car and is yes. uh is learning about those two people that are fighting on the yeah. side of the building and <laughs> after that there's these uh these symbols you know that are starting and uh and the piano is giving a, a kind of nice vibe of it it's stressful but at the same time there's the it, it triggers your imagination and uh and a sense of and of being uneasy while you are learning about, you know, this cat girl and this something else fighting on the, on the side of the building. And there's also this CPS2 sound, you know, the, the CPS2 bass that you yes. you can hear a lot in the Alpha, um, in the Street Fighter Alpha soundtrack. So that's a super nice track, I think, that complements the, the stage very well. Yeah. Definitely. I love the way that the uh, the synths and the piano sort of like take turns leading the song in different places for sure. That's a yeah. very, very good one. And especially again, like it has such a sort of like gritty, like grungy kind of sound at the very start. And like then the leading piano comes in, it's just super iconic, right? Like a, I totally get what the, you mean. Yeah. The Takayuki EY piano. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, really. <laughs> like really. I haven't heard it anywhere else. Like the, <laughs> the, the way that those notes are treated, like he, he does something because it's actually in um some of the tracks in, I believe, Second Impact, like it's in mm. uh, the ending theme for Second Impact. Uh, it's prevalent in Psylocke stage, Marvel Superheroes, her ending. Like it's it's like a trademark thing, but it always sounds fresh and different when he uses it. 
Definitely. Well, listen to the to the original soundtrack, please. Yeah, please, please. Do yourself a favor. You're going yes. to groove and be frightened at work while while walking or in your car, you know. That. <laughs> oh, actually, yeah, yeah, Halloween's coming up. It this is, is a perfect, yes. perfect time. To time to, to time to decorate your your living room with a giant fetus and uh... yeah, get, get, get a guillotine for three people in there as well. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There you go. Throw a bit of blood on the wall. Yes, it. Organize some bar fights, like a <laughs> Dark Circles ER in real life. Exactly. Yeah. Do it. Do it. I, I got to just talk about just one more, just my other favorite piece of music from this series. But um, yeah, the Forever Torment track—it's so cool. Just the way that at the very start of it, you get this beautiful bell, and then you get this sort of really weird dragging of like metallic chains, kind of a sound. Like, it's so interesting. Like, and then it just comes in with this really, really harsh-sounding beat, and it's just amazing. The way you've got this sort of like—it's almost like a clanging sound of like a blacksmith hitting something against something else, like something metallic, metallic. But it's being used in this song in such a cool sort of like almost percussive type of type of a manner. It's great. And then like in the background again, you hear the sort of metal chain kind of yeah. dragging sound. Like it, it's amazing just the way that it mixes so many elements from what you're seeing in front of you on the stage itself into the actual song itself. It's great. Yeah. You know what's funny is like when you mentioned that I immediately heard that in my head. Yeah. Like that oh. entire section, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's. If I had to say there's an honor student of a track, it definitely is this because it pulls together <laughs> things in such a technical way that you wouldn't expect. Um, and it, to me, it, it sounds like, you know, someone who has an incredibly strong understanding of like how music theory works and how anything can be music if it's arranged properly. Mm-hmm. Like, because I'm, I'm remembering that now and I remember how like, that I mean, but again, like I'm not even listening to the track. This is just the impression I had of it. And just when you mentioned it again, it was like it played exactly in my head. So it's yeah. like this this stuff has staying power to like a ridiculous degree. Um, yeah, it's it's just a testament to uh, the talent that was behind uh, Capcom's music team. Uh, you know, these people just they just do things that we don't expect, and when they happen, it just feels good. And we don't know that we like these things. We just know <laughs> it when we hear it. It's just it's it's insane. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And yeah. that's uh, the 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 what Richmond said about you know the um, the Vanity Paradise stage. The music also works very well because it starts with um, with water sounds, and uh, and after that it goes you know with Chinese strings and Chinese in- inspired Chinese instrument. And it's actually like you said before a, a very lightheaded stage. Compared yeah. to the others, and the music really plays into it. Mm. Yeah, it's really, really awesome. It really is. Another thing that's really cool as well is the fact that, like, whose stage actually is. Like, it's Lord Raptor's stage, right? But, like, you actually get to hear and feel, like, his essence kind of through it. Just the way that it kind of has this really cool, like, lead guitar type of vibe coming through with, like, the, the riffs coming through mm-hmm. near, near the sort of middle of the song. Like, it really is awesome. You can sort of picture him, like, playing over the track itself. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. the way that it actually gets carried through. And, yeah, it's just, it's so well well um, composed. It's, it's great. Really, really, truly is one of the, one of the better songs, in my opinion. It really is a, a great favorite of mine. Yeah. 
I'd say um, a really interesting thing about just this soundtrack in general is um, I, I think it's a lot less melodic than like the Street Fighter Two mm-hmm. uh, soundtracks, and just you know, uh, like uh, they, they're starting to get more into like these mood pieces and just yeah. making like these these yeah. soundscapes, like really telling a story through the the music. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because there, there's no like guile theme. In Vampire Savior, you know, in the in the series, there's not something like you can meme or yeah, you know, everyone, <laughs> or everyone knows like da 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 da. It, yeah. it, it doesn't fit with anything actually. That's the opposite of the the guy them doesn't yeah. you know the Vampire OST is very are very very linked to the stages and the characters they represent and that's super great. That's super great. Yeah. Yeah. De- definitely worth studying if you, um, especially if you're if you're a game developer because mm-hmm. I, I would say these these this soundtrack is a masterclass at composing specifically uh, for games and 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 specifically for fighting games where you have a very small window to like uh, really convey you know what's going on um, that's not not like an RPG you're not going to be wandering through the stage for like an hour <laughs> like yeah. fight really fast. yeah yeah it's funny though, because like you, you feel like you could. Do you know what I mean? Like the stages yeah. feel like they feel alive. Oh, yeah, they, feel yeah. like, they feel like you could actually sort of like step in and like imagine like what the rest of the area looks like. And that's like in yeah. my mind like a testament to what a great stage even is, right? It's like it's a piece of like an entire world, like a slice of it. So it's like you get yeah. to think about all the other places and like how they connect, how they relate to each other, how they relate back to the character. And yeah, like when you look at places like in this, um, like in this, in these games. I always end up thinking about what the uh, what the other side of the stage that I can't see would look like. So, like for example, if I'm if I'm talking about I don't know, thinking about like Forever Torment stage, for example, just like the way that the way that all of the different areas that we can't quite see, they're kind of like backlit in a certain way that you, mm. that you almost want to sort of walk down and like see more. If you know what I'm saying, like yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's great. Yeah. I, I think just everything you just said is just uh, very relevant to the the game itself and just sort of their design ethos at the time where it's like um you know they're they're especially back then they were working with very limited means there was only so much memory only so much you can do and they just absolutely maximized it by um just putting so much heart and soul into every bit that it it, it conveys a world through very little and then you, you just want to know more and I mean, <laughs> this is like a very obtuse series to follow, right? It doesn't quite have like a main story line as clearly as Street Fighter does, right? Street Fighter, you know, very clearly follows Ryu and like yeah, there's a clear bad guy, evil organization with Shadowloo. Mm-hmm. And with Vampire, it's a bunch of like vignettes that you, you just kind of piece together and it's just that the characters and the mood the mood of it is so mm-hmm. strong the aesthetic that's that's, that's what draws you in yeah you're super right to say it because you know i think it's this week they they announced like the the story mode for the new guilty gear for strive and oh. and they, they they had to uh put on youtube recaps of previous story modes because nobody you know, everyone is lost and nobody knows <laughs> what's going on. And in the meantime, I've been playing Addis uh, on the Switch, which uh, came out uh, recently. And it's incredible how it's very fighting game-like uh, in the story-wise, because 
each time you you die because it's a roguelike you go and talk for five minutes for all characters that are near to you and there's only like three dialogue windows each time but you learn you know by small details incremental details about them about the characters and i was you know playing the game and thinking wow that's so fighting game like and actually all the characters not i need an addis fighting game you know and, and uh, that's super great when they can i i think i prefer you know i've been into the the guilty gear storyline a lot and doing all the story modes and things like that but now that i'm older i think i actually prefer when the when they give some bits of story some lines some things like that and they let me you know um understand it or you know mix it to get mix everything to to understand a bit better because if it's too much it's not as mysterious it's not as interesting and uh, you know basically characters in fighting games we, we we i think we've made a good point to explain that it's not just the storyline that counts but the, the character design the animation the stages they are telling the story you know, yeah, yeah, and and sometimes I feel that you know having your full voiced storylines, full you know animated story mode, it doesn't express actually a lot more than just letting people enjoy the game like uh, like we are doing in those podcasts. You know, yeah, I, I just want to make a quick comparison. Um, I, I, I so. I was reading about, um, I, I was a big fan of Takashi Murakami, the fine artist, you know, the, the super flat guy. Um, and I, I used to read up on him a lot. And he, he was a big fan of George Lucas growing up. He loved like Star Wars. Uh, you know, George Lucas was uh, just a, not just a pioneer of like sci-fi, but also just of creator owned franchises. And also like this idea of like creating a persistent world. And, um, I remember in an interview, Murakami, uh, I think around the time, this was when like the, the prequels came up and a lot of people found them really disappointing because like, you know, they, they were technical marvels and suddenly like Lucas could just do whatever the hell he wanted and he could have any kind of imagery you wanted on the screen, like with uh, CG and suddenly the movies were actually less compelling and then... Um, I forget how it came up, but Murakami pulled up an old quote from, from Lucas where George Lucas, back in the day, you know, uh, when it was he was making the the timeless classics, the original uh, trilogy, uh, people asked him. Someone asked him, like, "Oh, how, how, what's your secret? How are your movies so exciting?" And um, he said, "Like, well, the secret is to cut away before people have had enough. <laughs> like, leave them wanting. Like, show them just enough to be like, oh, cool, I want to see more, and then just cut, go on to the next thing." And um, mm. yeah, I, I think you, you sort of have that that spirit in. In, in, yeah. in in uh, the, these older games, mm -hmm. and uh, the and basic what, what's interesting is that you know in the nineties a lot of game series, fighting game series, especially the King of Fighters series, they, they they slashed you know their own mythology. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Like for example, you know in the King of Fighters, like the the, the there's this whole Orochi saga and. Uh, and things like that. And uh, suddenly, when they go to K KOF 99, uh, basically, oh, it wasn't because Kyo and Yori are like incarnation of gods or, you know, um, mythological figures. It's mm. in their DNA 
Like they can mm. do flames because it's it's just a DNA thing. So we can basically, you know, clone them and uh, put some <laughs> DNA in some other guy. And you're like, what? Why are you doing this? Okay, you made <laughs> you you made K, which is an incredible character, you know. But like we we I recently played King of Fighter 2002 Unlimited match, yeah. and there's like four or five version of Kyo in this game. There's like Kyo Kusanagi, Kyo 1, Kyo 2. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, maybe you should have stopped before doing this because there are too many Kyo's. And uh, and a lot of, uh, you know, uh, game stories were this way. That's the same in Street Fighter 3 when, you know, suddenly you have... Uh, uh, the Dalsim is replaced by Necro. They basically have the same kind of moveset, is, and Blanca is also replaced by Necro. But instead of being, you know, uh, uh, a yoga master, so he can extend his moves, it's spiritual and things like that. Yeah, Necro is like a, a failed experiment, a, a, a science rat, you know. Mm. And uh, Twelve is a bit the same. Is like is the ultimate uh, fighter and creation. But he has no face, he has no color, he has no distinctive, you know, um, features. And so a lot of games when, you know, they, in, the, in the late 90s, they, they started going this way. And uh, that's, uh, that, that's a bit the same with, you know, Metal Gear Solid, where you, there's this thing about uh, the, the enfants terribles and the cloning the soldiers and, uh, and it's all in the genes and things like that. So... Uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I I I'm happy that we didn't have a, a, a Darkstalker sequels where they say, "Oh, Felicia, it's basically because she's the experiment between cats and humans that turned bad or things like that." That would have yeah. been terrible, you know. That would have been terrible. Or or maybe like Lord Raptor. Oh, uh, he would died in an accident, but uh, I don't know. Uh, some lab took him and made him a zombie because they were a fan of his music. I don't know. Some that will be, you know, terrible to give an explanation, too much explanation about those characters and the settings, something like that. That would kill the the, the thing. I think. Yeah. Um, well, sorry, that was a, a tangent <laughs> again. Uh, you're absolutely right, though. It's kind of like if if you're like out and about and you're like, well, you know, I'm on my way home. I want to get like a snack. I don't want anything crazy. Like a maybe like a apple pie or like a. I don't know, just something small, right? Yeah. And then, like, you go into the place and they, like, sit you down and it goes into, like, Fogo de Chow mode. And it's just like, bro, I just need an apple pie. <laughs> small. I don't need, like, a whole side of a cow. Yeah. Like, I just, I just need, like, something this and small and sweet, yeah. Yeah. And then later on, hey, you know, I'll be, maybe I'll be hungry again. I'll get dinner. I think that's mm. how it feels, like, when you yeah. have, like, just an overwhelming sense of like narrative density, like it can be kind of off-putting and it takes away from the mysticism from like, you know, the story that you're already interested in. Yeah. You want a specific, like small, like thing. You don't want like a full, like three course meal. Yeah. I feel you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's like, I think it's a matter of like what it is that you need at the right time. If you know what I mean? So like mm -hmm. there are different ways that you can incorporate something like a three course meal but like it's the pieces of that. It's the ingredient of the whole. It's it's the it's the speciality of the ingredients that make the whole. If you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So for example, like you don't want 
absolutely all of like the front loading in the plot to be like 12 hours long and then you only play like a short like you know what i mean like 20 minute like fighting game like you don't want that you want for <laughs> it to be able to sort of like balance itself out and mix itself together in a way that can properly you know be ingested so mm. yeah i feel what you mean yeah. You don't want Kojima cutscenes in your fighting oh, yeah. game explaining yeah. you everything about Basically, everything. Yeah. Like there are ways to there are ways to do that, but obviously yeah, yeah. it's just a matter of like shortening them basically and making sure that what is most impactful can be most impactful for a very specific and you know good reason as opposed to it just going on for the sake of going on. But yeah, I, I get you. I, I think um, just as a counterpoint. Um, I feel like maybe Darkstalkers could have had just a little bit more story front loaded, though. Like, I do uh, get because, because yeah. mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, I, 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 I love it. Like, I, I want to know know more about these characters, and I, yeah, like, like we're saying, I don't need like every little lore bit explained, but um, uh, I, I think it's also just that there were so many games, and then some of them literally just didn't have like stories or like character specific endings like it's like i want more i think what, i think what's interesting is like, I, together. yeah i agree with you there but it's just like it's the fact that like it was all split across so many different things as well like it was yeah. split across so many different games like for a lot of people who do play a lot of games over here like we know about street fighter for example and that's just been going on for a long time in a very similar way but like mm-hmm there are a lot of different other games that only have like a few small like and short iterations and stuff so it's like the general way that we ingest stories especially like over where it is that we are considering the fact that again us as a podcast group we're from different places in the world and stuff but like in my experience i'll say like a lot of the stories that i've ingested they've only been like one or two or three or four parters but like that's kind of just been it like they've not gone over like mass 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 amounts of years and all the rest of that kind of stuff so it's so much to try and put into like one specific thing so like i get what you mean but yeah i agree with you though i do wish that they did put in like i wish that they explained the story in a different kind of way but it makes sense why they did what they did regarding like, the restraints that they had and stuff like that so yeah, yeah. Didn't they do like drama CD or things like that at the time they, for this game? They must have. They must have, yeah. I think they did. Uh, yeah. I think they. Well, did. there was the OVAs, but that, mm-hmm. that was again mm-hmm. like that. That mm-hmm. matched the games. It was like very um, uh, oh, just those, a bunch of great. barely connected vignettes. But that was perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Have it, you it, seen the? That's what the games kind of are in, in, in a yeah. way. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, have you seen the the US cartoon? Because we've been talking about like beautiful things from this podcast and I want you, the listener, to just type in Google Darkstalkers US cartoon and marvel at the (laughs) the incredible. There are reasons to why that happens. But yeah, like, I I think it's like like a a communication error as to like what it is that Darkstalkers kind of is. Do you know what I mean? Like, they really took it and made it into something that it really just isn't. But it makes sense as to why this would happen, though, depending on like the time and the fact that again, yeah. like they were kind of just trying to make it into like a kids' show in a sense, but like adding in things that weren't even necessary. But yeah, <laughs> very contrasting. I, I, I just want to say to the listeners, if 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 you're if you're a bit younger, <laughs> if you're like a a, a zoomer, um, just know that like in in the '90s, that was the height of the most soulless corporate like condescending children's cartoons like these shows were not made by your friends they were like 
bankrolled by some dudes in a suit who like would never ever even consider watching the show and like th- yeah that that show was like such a mess oh my goodness yeah it was a hot mess yeah I, uh, I mean, yeah. I mean that, that was an era where they were just literally just any franchise that people could get their hands on. They were trying, they just try to turn it into a cartoon to see, uh, all, all, really all because of Ninja Turtles. Uh, yep. Ninja Turtles yes. was such a mega hit that everyone was like, okay, what's the next Ninja Turtles? Is it going to be Street Fighter? Is it going to be Darkstalkers? Is it going to be stuff that you probably don't even remember? Like, did you, there was a Wildcats cartoon, Jim yeah. Jim Lee's Wildcats. There was a Savage Dragon cartoon. Yes, there was. There was Savage Dragon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the you opening that? was actually animated really well. Really? For uh, Savage Dragon, like it was done okay. by. Uh, I think it was done by like Tokyo Movie Shinja or like or it was it was some it was a Japanese studio that did the opening. It was actually pretty neat. And then the show starts, and you know it's, it's <laughs> not quite <laughs> not quite the same. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and I think there was also uh, there was a Young Blood cartoon from Image Comics, um, and yeah and that was kind of animated well but it didn't have the same budget as uh, savage dragon the opening hmm. specifically I, um we are watching the opening while you're talking and i your memories uh yeah i think you bad. you oh, overestimated okay. a little bit to be honest <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not bad it's okay it's, it's okay cool. it's, it's okay cool. it's yeah. not great but yeah let me, see. <laughs> let me go back i'm actually looking it up for myself I keep but sending bad US uh, cartoon to Adam and uh, his reaction are hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's painful. He's just uh, he's taunting me right now. It's, it's not fun. It's not fun. But um. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I have bad memory, dude. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you know what Ooh. it is? It's not about it just being like bad memory. Another thing oh, which I discuss right. frequently sometimes. Just it's the fact that like we have completely different um, standards now, right? We have different understandings of like what it is to look at animation and to look at so many different areas of creative media, especially like. As as like you know, adults now. Do you know what I mean? As people who've mm-hmm. like been involved with these in different ways, people who've gone on to make our own things, and who, who actually understand how to utilize different pieces of software, who understand different fundamentals of art. Like Richmond has a studio now. Do you know what I mean? Like we we have yeah. these things that like obviously as like eight nine ten year olds we didn't have it all we didn't know about but we were able to sort of watch the people that created these things and we were able to sort of like in a sense like download in our mind like different areas of things that we thought were cool we were sort of you know that's what that's what the most important thing about like formative years are right like you don't necessarily have all of the ingredients there yet but you're gathering them as we always are throughout all of our lives but in a very early and very important stage i think when you don't be able to be very critical of anything really when you're like single digit age like early teenage mid teenage like even late teenage like again i'm like 24 my brain isn't even fully developed like when well, that happens when i'm like 25 do you know what i mean like there's so much stuff going on yeah it's uh, it, it's wild yeah yeah, like I, I just remember like seeing uh, stuff like this, and it would be like, I mean, this is the same thing that happened with like Bionic Six, same thing that happened with, like Thundercats and all this stuff. And you would, you know, you would see these openings, and I mean, even if you were a kid and you couldn't articulate that there was something different, you were just like, something about when the show starts is just different. But I still like it, you know. And then, you know, so because I, I mean, I still enjoyed Thundercats. I still enjoyed what little I saw of uh, Savage Dragon, you know, when I was a kid. But yeah, you make an excellent point. It's like, you know, 
our our tastes and our palates are, are much more refined now. So like you know, you go back and you look at something. It sometimes it just doesn't age well. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But then again, it's like at the time, cool. Right, right now, different stuff. Do you know what I mean we, we have different views? We've got different. Yeah, we've got a whole different way of looking at it. So yeah, it, it's always super interesting hearing other people's perspectives on these concepts and on these topics. Because again, like even just for the listeners at home right now, if you could think back to like some of your own old favorite cartoons or old favorite books, old favorite anything, just think about how that may have like influenced you as you've grown. Right now, obviously, as different things have happened in your life, as you've matured, as you've grown, as you've grown and, you know, grown a better understanding of your own self and your own tastes, just think about that for a moment, right? Like, what you would, in essence, like, view as interesting now, what what do you think is cool now, and then how would, like, child you, or what you remember of child you, react to that? Because, again, like, we don't have that full-on, like, perfect memory-based link to our past at, at all times. There are certain moments that stand out. But again, like, there's always different ways of remembering things, right? Like, the way that our brains work, we can't, unfortunately, always take 100% accurate screenshots of every single moment in our lives. So, yeah, the way that we remember some things might actually be different than the truth. So, yeah, it really is quite different to think about that as well. This is, this is true. Nostalgia is the memory cocaine that we're all <laughs> addicted to. So, it you know, we see things a little bit differently sometimes, and then we have to go back and... You know. I just want to add another layer on top of that. Um, like, in in defense of childhood James, like, uh, compare that opening for Savage Dragon to the Darkstalkers cartoon. <laughs> like, sure. Yeah. That wasn't yeah. standard. Yeah. So, like, yeah. by, by contrast, you're like, oh, well, this is, like, way this better. fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I just found a gif of Lord Raptor cutting the head of a T-Rex. With his, with the 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 sound of his guitar, <laughs> <That's it. laughs> in, the, in this U.S. cartoon that doesn't make any sense. Well, when okay, the notes are that hard, they can just cut through everything. Yeah, you just send it in here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Oh, oh he, its head came off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it oh, dude, no, no, no! You got it. The, the stuff that violent was very rare in American cartoons. Oh, and there was no cutaway. The blood. No, dude, it, it's 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 head wow. is clean off it's sailing through the air <laughs> true That's yeah yeah you wild. see the explosion yeah yeah especially <laughs> considering what like batman Tass had to go through there's a lot of stuff they couldn't show yeah. uh so it's interesting that that show, but then again i think batman was on like fox or something uh whereas like i think the dalt stalker show was on usa network which was kind of like a pseudo cable channel yeah so maybe there were was, it was on at like 7 a.m. and and probably the censors couldn't even make it through like the whole season. <laughs> right. So, yeah. <laughs> they say whatever, man. Just put this in. Oh, we don't care. Like waking up at no 7 a.m. to watch anything now is just not gonna happen. Like, <laughs> oh god. Yeah. You know, I used to wake up that early to watch RoboCop, the cartoon. Mm. Dude, like, that's cool. Yeah. Like, like I used to do that, but now, yeah, the idea of like being awake and attentive to actually do something like that, like on a normal, like regular basis. I mean. I'm a crazy person. I'm up drawn and shit. But like, if I yeah. did not have to do that, I would <laughs> not be awake. Yeah. It's also <laughs> interesting too as well, just the fact that again, like the way in which we ingest media has changed in so many different levels. But then again, like for so many people and so many kids as well who still don't, who still do watch TV as well. 
like it's just interesting that they have this other like avenue and stuff like again when i was like okay i turned like nine in like oh five and that's when like youtube first started i think Mm. right so it's like that is basically when i first got a chance to look at all different kinds of videos from all around the world and i was like wow this is amazing i'd hop into like my dad's computer i think i'd just be like okay i'm gonna after i'm done watching all these cool tv shows i'm gonna start to go onto the internet but it's like again i'm doing that like as a a nine-year-old kid so it's like i've got a completely different frame of reference like i don't even know what i'm looking for obviously like i don't have any i don't have any like any taste in anything yet do you know what i mean so it's just sort of like it's all flowing into my 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 brain in in essence right whereas like someone who was i don't know like a little bit older back then they could have things that they like want to actually search and things that actually want to upload and like talk about and like try and find out about in a different like context in a different aspect with different experiences behind that so i think like the way that we touch off with different areas of information and different areas to uh, different access points regarding that information i think it's really important to remember that as well when we think about like kid shows and like how they were sort of like accessed by like kids at the time and then like how it is that we can like look back on them now with all this information in front of us it's really interesting yeah it's so true yeah yeah really interesting stuff it's a shame we can't go back in time huh <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's but you make, you make some really good points though because i you know I'm, I'm somebody that's i don't know i've seen a lot of shit from like that weird time in america where like japanese studios and american studios got along a lot better and there was a lot more it was like the first era of collaboration so like a lot of stuff that i grew up with technically was anime and i didn't know it but i knew what i saw yeah and i knew that it felt different like i didn't know like terms or anything like that i was just like a kid but i was like man, this Bionic 6 intro is fucking incredible. Like, like, why does it, why do I feel these feels this way? Hmm. Um, and ironically, like, I feel like some of that influence in terms of, like, shot choice and stuff like that, that stuff is still in me, like, yeah. to this day. And, I mean, you know, we're talking about it, fucking Bionic 6, like, that doesn't make any sense, but sometimes I look at my own art, and I see, like, some of the things that, like, subconsciously reminds me of shit that I used to watch. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what you grow up with, what you see, and what you see later, I mean, yeah, all of that is, like, a like a culmination of, like, you know, how you develop and, and what changes about that, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's, you know, sometimes, you know, we see a lot of things, like, when in our formative years, we don't really know what we're looking at. We're just enjoying things, mm-hmm. you know? Totally. And, it's like, you know, once that time kind of passes and now you're like, oh, okay, like, I like these things and I like these things. It's like, it does make you think the contrast between, like, those two sides of the coin of who you are, like, how uh, those correlate and how we, like, view stuff today. And, like, and just also remembering that other people don't have that same experience. True. Like, totally you true. know, like, in, in your case, you're just like, well, there's so much stuff. I'm just kind of digging through, like... Yeah. everything you know and it's like whatever sticks sticks and that's also cool too because you weren't it's like instead of growing up with it it's like it's all here you know yeah in, in a lot of ways yeah yeah but i can also see how that can be like overwhelming too so it's like it's because you just, it, 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 the internet's vast especially what 2005 yeah, yeah, yeah. like i was like, like was... in, in that year i was like eight years old and nine years old yeah <laughs> oh my Man, god it's almost like you had like an infinity gauntlet in your hand <laughs> Uh, like, speaking speaking of cartoons, like they adapted anything. You um, 
you know there's a mummy in Darkstalkers. We haven't talked a lot about him. Anacharis. Uh, Anacharis, yes. But yeah. the same year that Vampire Savior came out, do you remember of the of the, 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 the television series Mummies Alive? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh my, yeah. my god. That, that that that's like Anacharis the show. It really is though. <laughs> and there's a, they, they translated it in French into Turbo Mummies. Wow. <laughs> That that was singing the the they tried to adapt the the the, the lyrics of the gener- of the the intro, but the guy has to speak super fast like this because uh, there's too much to say blah 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 because they are telling the stories in the in the in their intro and the voice of the the voice actor they took in the French version for the Turbo Mummy is like is like the the voice actor for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh wow. So that that's the most incredible thing. Like you 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 zapping and suddenly there's Schwarzenegger singing the Turbo Mummies. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if you if you're young, they were doing this kind of crazy things in the nineties. <laughs> definitely, definitely a completely a completely different time, a really wildly different time. Like just in so yeah. many different ways, so many different ways. That'd be a good episode to do. I bet. Like speaking about like the way that if you can try and encapsulate like each of these decades and like the influences that came out of them, just yeah, ridiculous. But I've got another point to make really quickly though. Another thing, just in terms of like having things to grow up with, in a sense. Like I remember, I told well at the very start of me appearing on this podcast, I remember mentioning the fact that it was Richmond's article even way before we even met, like in the internet, way before that time. Like that was one of the things that actually started. Um, inspiring me to sort of like look into pixel art on a deeper level so it's one of the things that i think about in terms of like growing up and in terms of you know sort of like trying to learn about like an art form and then trying to learn about so many different areas of where these really cool things came from and how they relate to what it is that i'm interested in what it is that i want to do like you posted that on like july 10th in 2010 so they again like it's a 10 year anniversary of it in a sense with regard to this year but it's just so crazy to think about because, again, like, that would be me at, like, 14, basically just, like, reading the heck out of this stuff. And then, like, oh, basically this being, like, near enough to the start of my introduction to what Darkstalkers is and what another level of pixel art is in general. Because, again, like, I wasn't the most... um how can I put it? Like, uh, in a lot of areas of, like, my own, like, childhood, like, I wasn't, like, allowed to watch certain things. Like, I wasn't always able to check out, like, certain things due to them being, like, you know, like, age-restricted in a sense. So I sort of had that all throughout my childhood and all throughout my life, basically. But when I was able to sort of, like, find out about things like Darkstalkers, it opened, like, another extra door for me. Do you know what I mean? Like, it made this really cool leap from things like, things like Halloween, for example, which I wasn't even, like, able to, like, celebrate properly until, like, I went to university for the first time and all that stuff. Like, it made all of that almost, like, tangible for me, in a sense. Finding out about games that are based in this really cool horror aesthetic from all different places from all around the world, taking influences from those, and then putting them into this beautiful package with this awesome music, but this really cool animation and these great stages and all these wacky, any characters and moves and all the rest of it, so... It's really interesting sort of like thinking about how we've just been speaking about like growing up and what it is that we've grown up with. And then like I'm here talking about all the stuff which I grew up with, with the people whose work I ended up reading and growing up with. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's super cool. It's really, really interesting just to think about how this has worked out. And I, yeah, I'm just really happy about that. Just wanted hey. to mention. It's cool. Hey, Richmond. 
Fitting hold. <laughs> I got a, the biggest smile on my face right now. I, uh, I, this is the good part of. You know, yeah, uh, you can be proud of it. Let's call it maturing. Yeah, no. Yeah, like Adam said, I think your the, the 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 subcultures you could find on the internet, like. You know, today everyone is talking about 4chan and things like, and there's YouTube and all. But uh, that's super interesting, and I, I really dig what you what you just said, Adam. That's uh, for me. For example, I learn more about sprite animation and games and things like with the um, and characters with the Mugen scene. You know, the mm -hmm. the Mugen engine that allowed you to to make a character because on the start of the the 2000. It was hard to uh, download ROMs because um, they were protected, and you needed you needed special uh, emulators and things like that, and especially with a, a slow connection. But uh, a Mugen character was like two megabytes, so you could you know download a character and play with it for two days, and uh, so that it was messed because suddenly you're playing like both I don't know uh, Homer Simpson versus Ryu. Versus a Tuhu character versus a Last Blade character, it doesn't make any sense. But suddenly you have this realization that there's so much behind the curtain that you didn't know about because all I knew about was the, maybe like Tekken and the King of Fighters. And suddenly there's like, oh my God, where are those characters coming from? <laughs> and that's that's not that's super strange. And all this, these styles and things like that. So yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, anyway, oh, long yeah. live the internet. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah. Just to bring this back around to Darkstalkers one more time. Yeah, just the, the way that we can sort of like break down all of these super cool influences and like the way in which they've been able to in turn influence other people. And just, yeah, it, it's something that it's really amazing. Just the fact that it still has such a strong like fan base as well. There are still tournaments happening like all throughout the year regarding like the game and stuff. And I think that... If you did, if you were able to somehow get everyone who worked on this wonderful like franchise together somehow, and like if people were able to say like not only just like thank you, but like have like a big sort of like conversation like podcast or between all of them maybe like about how it is that like they felt working on this and like if they even if if they even really knew like the sort of the the cult phenomenon that they were really working on and like how it is that it's affected so many different people it would be so interesting to hear that obviously like just that, that trying to get that thing to happen would be a massive undertaking and like likely wouldn't but i mean like just thinking about like these were made by people do you know what i mean like they weren't yeah. just made by one or two or three people no it was like it's a whole team of people whose own influences converged together to create all of this media that we speak about for the literal like decades later do you know what i mean so yeah like just being able to be influenced by something that is older than your own self and then at the same time you almost feel like having you, it's weird because like i didn't grow up with it as it came out but, like, I grew up with it way after it came out. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, like, it's really interesting to have that kind of perspective because, like, I hear you guys speaking about, like, the way it came out and, like, the way that you had your own interaction with it, like, in arcades or, do you know what I mean, like, with people and with friends around and stuff. But, like, I wasn't even, like, alive yet. Do you know what I mean? So, like, I had to figure <laughs> out, like, all the stuff, like, later. So it's just a – it's super cool to sort of, like, have that balance on this podcast and that mm -hmm. ability to sort of, like, look at it from such different perspectives but, like, similar perspectives within our admiration of it. So, yeah super cool no i think that's a beautiful thing you know um because mm. hearing like your accounts of like 
you know, encountering doll stalkers and encountering just the things that you're into. Like, it's such a, like you're saying, it's similar, but there's like enough of a difference where it's just like, wow, like, you know, for us, some of us, it was like, you know, these things coming out in increments over time. And, yeah. you know, and for you, it was just like, here's wholesale awesome. Like, yeah. Just right here. And you get to like, pick through and like and it's like i find that kind of like fascinating especially given like there's so much stuff out there you could have been into anything yeah you could have been to anything but like this is the stuff that got your attention and this is the stuff that caught your eye and for someone who grew up with a lot of this stuff to see that it still can get to somebody like you were saying you weren't even born yet your 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 dlc dlc file for earth wasn't even created yet. Yeah, legit, you know yeah. you weren't you weren't even for the loadout yet you know i was yet, loaded in <laughs> yeah you weren't even yeah you weren't even in the the loading at all but like the fact that you're able to not only be introduced to it but to have such a strong connection to it i mean i think it's a a testament to just how powerful uh the collective of people at copcom were at that time to create such a beautiful and unique series that is a catalyst for some of the stuff that we see today in fighting games. You know, I made the joke earlier, we were all getting together, but, uh, you know, it's kind of like Capcom is like the, the idiot to uh, Arxis's Evangelion, you know, yeah. because <laughs> if, it weren't, if it weren't for Darkstalkers, like, I feel like a lot of the stuff that we're seeing, it wouldn't be... Uh, where it is today in other fighting games. So, you know, totally. Ballstalkers has like a very special place uh, in the history of, of fighting games and what the ingenuity and creative minds are behind them. Definitely. Definitely. And in terms of like longevity as well, I mean, like, again, it's, a, it, it's just hard to think about how you could make something that people would be interested in, not only just for one year, but for like for five, not only for five, but for 10, not only just for 10, but for like 30, do you know I mean? almost 30, do you know what I mean? Like, it's just crazy just the fact that like so many people from so many places across the planet have been able to just, you know, keep the interest for this thing going mm. because it's just, again, like the characters are there, the world is there and what we've seen of it, it's not even, in a sense, like it's not, it's not finished, if you know what I mean, there's still like, there are still yeah. holes in, within the plot which you could still, you know, end up thinking about and trying to imagine what, what things could be but yeah like it's the fact that it's able to capture so many people and so many people still love it it's got that awesome longevity there and i think it's really cool because you do see things that do like do you know what i mean they, that do die out and things that you don't necessarily hear about so much anymore but yeah i think it's one of the many um many jewels in capcom's crown i think it's it's great yeah ab absolutely um, I, I, I just for for me, it's very heartening, as uh, you know, to hear from from all of you about uh, just our our shared love for this game. I think the, the, to me, this is like one of the best things about uh, like you know fandom just in general. Mm -hmm. And then and then uh, you know, also like taking it deeper, like like uh, if, if you're an artist, you're, you're we got artists, developers, programmers. Uh, we 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 can appreciate these things on a even deeper technical level, but just taking it all back though, like taking a step back just to that initial spark that that drew us to uh, this thing in the the first place. Um, yeah, I, I I just think it's really heartening that it, it this it, the inherent appeal of it kind of cuts across different times, different cultures. Like we we all grew up in pretty different places, but. Um, you know, like all of us 
when we looked at Jetta, we were like, whoa, like yeah. this guy is awesome. And I'm yeah. I'm a hundred percent sure that like we all had pretty much like the same feeling looking at certain things in this game, you know? Oh, it's like really cool to have this uh, this thing be sort of this beacon that 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 cuts across like uh, you know like the cultural and personal divides and just like th- there's a purity to it. It's just like this pure aesthetic. It's not really tied to any particular like message or I- I- ideology. It's 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 a feeling, right? It's yeah, it's, yeah. To to me, that's like super special. Like to me, that's that's a big part of the, what what art is is about that's definitely agreed absolutely i mean it's it's something that brings people together that you know it's like we're from all over the world basically and Mm -hmm. yet this this work this collective uh you know has brought us together to you know basically sing its praises and to like you know talk about how how wonderful it is and like the progressions that it's made and like um, and to spread this to other people who may not know about it, who may actually uh, have their own individual uh, positive experience that's specific to them uh, in regards to how they digest and receive art, um, you know, which is also another amazing thing. I mean, it's 2020, you know, sure. and this game came out like Dogstalker started in what, like 97 or it, like 94, like 94, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like yeah. 94. So it's like, you know, the fact that not only is it that the game's still being played, but like for it to be uh, loved collectively for all different aspects and for it to have affected so many people, um, you know, that's just a sheer testament to uh, the work that, that, that goes into, you know, anything. I mean, yeah, we were talking about box suckers, but uh, there's other works that other people feel a similar way about. You know, like this is something that this is the beautiful thing about art in it in and of itself uh, is that it can create these kinds of memories long after it's been created. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, one other thing as well for anyone like creative as well that's like really interested in trying to make their own thing who might be interested in listening to this. With regard to how it is that you want to try and think about like leaving your mark on like on the on the art world and everything else like that, and when you look at things like this, it can be a bit like daunting thinking about how oh wow, like they've made this really great thing, and like how could I do the same? Like just go out there and just give it a try, just go for it. Like none of the yeah. people that were working on this knew for a hundred percent that it would just work out as well as it has, and it would become the global phenomenon that it is. Like they didn't know that at all. So if you have any of your own ideas, if you've got anything that you're working on currently, if you have anything that you want to do in the future, work towards it, and yeah, just keep on building it and just keep going. Just keep keep showing up every day. That's one of the things which again, like, which is. Um, really important just to me like in my own life and stuff like that with regard to areas of mind thinking about like taekwondo or art for example again and game game design and development learning about music and how to play guitar for example like all of these things and things in your own life as well listener as well like they take practice and they take time and it's something that i feel and that you probably will feel as well that you've made improvements at and that you will continue to make failures at, and you'll make more improvements after that. And it's an up and down type of thing. But mm-hmm. yeah, one of the most beautiful things I think about media, I'll say, is that it gives us um, a, a, an array of feelings, a variety of different emotions. 
And one of the most pure ones of those for me is the fact that, like, you want to give this feeling to somebody else, I think. Yeah. When I was young, yeah. when I first played a whole other game called Golden Sun, I remember, I remember being seven. I remember finishing off a part of it and saying, like, I want to do this for other people. I remember saying that out loud. And wow. that's been something which I've thought wow. about for a very long time because it's like, that's what this is. Do you know what I mean? Like, you want to make someone else feel like how something else made you feel. If, if that makes sense. So, yeah, for anyone else out there who might be having a bad day, maybe, or who might be going to work listening to this, just anybody, just keep on doing what you're doing, because, yeah, you'll be fine. Just keep on going. Yeah. Embrace the grind. Yes. yes. And do it. Don't the care about And don't yeah. care about pe what people will say. Nope. Yeah. It doesn't all matter anyway. It, it's all about you and feeling good about what you do. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> That's that's interesting what you said, uh, Adam. Because I I went to I talked about it on Twitter. I went I went as an interviewer in in a school uh, recently, and uh, we talked with students, and they were like, "Yeah, but um, you know, when you when we want to maybe for example stream video games or things like that, there's like so many people already doing it, and uh, mm -hmm. and uh, they were kind of like." Yeah, how can we, you know, have visibility? And I was like, oh, um, for first of all, you don't have, you know, to have visibility. You can just do it because it feels good. And if it yeah. doesn't feel good, for example, for streaming or making videos on YouTube, well, don't do it. Like, mm -hmm. it's not, it's not, you know, it's not a challenge. There's no, it's not a competition. You know, it's not a competition. Just enjoy what you enjoy and if what you enjoy happens to be you know doing videos on youtube or things like that it it doesn't matter do do it you know but you you don't have uh because if you are younger and you you grew up you know with social media and the internet you may feel the pressure about comparing yourself to others but you know i don't think uh richmond was hoping for uh, you know, uh, numbers when he wrote the famous article about the 10 principles of animation. Nope. It, mm -hmm. it's, just, it's just, you know, do what you like and share what you like and just yeah. don't, don't compare yourself to others. It's not, it's not really, I insist, it's not a competition. Just do it. Just do what makes I, you feel good and that's all. Okay. I, I, I want to add to that. Um, so the 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 article that uh, Adam mentioned earlier, and uh, thank you so much for mentioning that. Like that's such no problem. I, 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 I yeah, um, that that means a lot to me that 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 you connected to that. Um, when I wrote that, I was going through a very difficult time in my life uh, personally and also work-wise. It was at my first startup, um, which you know ultimately went under, and and I was. Uh, under a lot of stress and actually I originally wrote that as just this one stream of consciousness post on the madman's cafe <laughs> which is a, a message board I, it was actually just me taking a break from the stress of work and I was like I just wanna I know this is really stupid and I have these deadlines but like I have this information in my head and I just it's just I need to pour it out somewhere and so I just wrote that post, and then I enjoyed writing that so much that um, I forget how somebody, I don't know, somebody suggested, I think it was Sean that was like, hey, you should do a blog. I'll, and then Sean, such a wonderful friend, he was just like, 
I designed this blog for you. You, you can just log. <laughs> here's the login. Like start start posting. So that was just like the fir first thing I posted there, and um, from there, like b before I ever wrote that that post, I, I was so concentrated on art. Like that was my only thing in life. Then I was like, oh, I really enjoy writing about stuff. And yeah. since then, that's really complemented my art career. And um, it was a hundred percent out of just personal interest. Uh, I, I found um, if there's something that you just feel like you just got to do it, it's it's probably worth doing. Like if, yeah. if 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 you just can't wait to do it, just like find time for it, and um, you know just do it because it feels good. And then later, as a matter of course, like my you know writing has helped me out in my career. I've literally gotten jobs. Um, off of like uh you know uh twitter and stuff just and and, and it's not because i was like oh, i'm gonna write this popular thing and and I, I worry about like numbers or something but it was like i just personally connected with someone i talked with them and then down the road it was like oh by the way like i have this interesting project you know like you, you never know where where following your your genuine interests will take you um but uh, yeah just follow your interest over like uh you know likes and shares like yeah. do stuff because you you are passionate about it mm -mm, that's very important and just really the we're in a very competitive you know world right now and it's not yeah. always about the numbers it's also about the quality i think we all know like youtube channels or blogs or websites or podcasts or things like that that are very very niche you know of people that by the nature of what they are doing they can't have big numbers you know and that's that doesn't care because sometimes all you have to do it is like adam said about the article you know about your article richmond it's all about you know attracting the right people for you and having meaningful conversation sometimes it only takes attracting one people to change your life or your perception of life or having yes. new tastes and things like that. So focus on, you know, having meaningful meetings and quality, uh, you know, uh, quality findings and quality community. I, I don't know, something that makes you feel good. But really, I insist because I really had this, this feeling and all this question with students because they ask me, like, how did you work in esports? Like, how can you... Oh, did you became Mr. Fighting Game at Red Bull France? And I was like, I just launched a podcast because I didn't know enough about fighting games. And I just wanted people to explain them to me, you know, it. And I just published it on the Internet because that was the pretext, you know, for, for <laughs> doing it. But in the end, uh, things just happened. It attracted a lot of other people. And yes, there were a lot of work and things related. It was not easy. But in the end, it's just going for your passion. It's not about monetizing your passion because you can't, you know, always make a living about what you what you like. But at least if you have one thing that you enjoy, you will attract other people. Just just do it. But just don't compare yourself with things as bad as numbers. Okay. And um, mm. That's all for me. Yeah, I've got one, one last thing to say, really. Just um, it's it's kind of a <laughs> bit of a yeah, it's kind of a bit of a, an interesting one. Just I'll make it pretty short. But I've been thinking about a concept, basically, what I've been basically wanting to name: original originality versus time. So, what is it that we think about with regards to how original a concept is 
and then thinking about that over time over different countries and just in general in in the general lexicon of like what it is a society knows of a certain concept so for example when we speak about let's say like vampires right like what is it that we know about vampires within the last like five ten years things like twilight things like edward pattinson being in that film things like vampire diaries and the big boom after that show like do you know what i mean like all these different things that happen in our sort of like bubble of the past like 10 20 years and then all right cool how does that go backwards in time how has that been influenced there so i think a lot of the time when people or especially when younger people as well when we think about what it is that we want to make and what it is that we want to create it's okay that people have done things that we want to do like before us that's fine yes it's just a matter of how it is that we want to do it so I think, and I hear all of the time, a lot of what Thomas just said there as well, when people are like, oh, there are other people who stream fighting games and like they're better at it than I am and like I can't quite do it yet. That's a very valid feeling. That's an okay feeling. Because to be honest, it's, a, it's one that makes sense, right? Especially considering the world in which we live. You can type in Street Fighter Streamer and find millions of different people that can come up within a, a fraction of a second, which is a wild thing to think about now, but it, it just happens. But there are ways in which you can make sure that you can put out there what it is that you want to put out there and people will see it regardless like it doesn't it doesn't have to be like the number one like smash hit at the moment as long as you're having fun with it and as long as it's something that you're actually you know happy with putting out there and producing just go for it still i hear a lot about this with regard to people making different game concepts especially now as well with again the ease of access that we have regarding you know different areas of research we could just type in okay this game reminds me of this game and then find like 20 different replies of other games and that can put a lot of people off what i'll say here for anyone else listening as well if you have a cool concept refine it a little bit do whatever it is that you want to do with it but still go for it if you got if you want to make yeah. a fighting game and you think oh this is a bit too similar to street fighter or mortal Kombat, think about why that is Maybe make some changes, but then add in your own spice. Add in things that have happened in your life. Add in your own essence. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, make sure that if you're going to do something, make sure that it can still have, like, your own flavor to it. But don't completely, like, bar yourself off from doing something just because it might remind someone of something else. I think that's yeah. a very important thing in art. I think it's a very important thing in creative sp- creative spaces and creative circles. I think it's a very important thing in general. We see a lot of this online, too. I think it's just um, it's something that a lot of people from senior positions down, from people looking at up, from people also looking up from junior positions upward. I think there needs to be a much more of a conversation regarding what we view as originality and why it exists yeah. for us, what it is that we've grown up with, and what what areas of the world and what times in the world we're coming from, and why that exists. Because mm-hmm. we, no one's no one's not allowed to make vampire stories because of bram stoker do you know what i mean like yeah. we're, we're totally fine to do yeah. that now it, it's totally yeah. cool so yeah. i think that we should definitely remember that going that, forward. an advice i would say if, if you if you have trouble you know finding your own voice own own um i don't know yeah your own tone or things like that but you like things you know uh, just look at the influences of the things you like basically that's super when i was in uh, when i entered art school in the in the beginning on the um, of the 2000s there was uh, two things that art teachers hated which was uh, manga aesthetics and anime aesthetics and uh, tim burton aesthetics basically <laughs> and uh, the, the tim burton aesthetics because basically when you when they because all the students they came and they were like i'm super fan of you know uh, um 
of uh, the strange Christmas of Mr. Jack and you know, the, the, yeah, the nightmare, uh, nightmare before, before Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, nightmare before Christmas. And uh, I just translated from French to English to title. That yeah. was super strange. But basically, when you look at what Tim Burton is, Tim Burton is just a mix between Disney and uh, the German uh, expressionist movement from the 30s. Mm. Basically, that's all, you know. And when you go uh, at the roots of your own uh, influences, you will often see and find a more, uh, you know, uh, rough and pure and more, I, I wouldn't say authentic, but it's a bit uh, more rough version of what you like. And that's super interesting to go in this rabbit hole because basically it will help you identify what you like in what you like. You know, if you like, I don't know, for example, um, I don't know, Tim Burton things, and you like this wall, I don't know, architecture, you know, in maybe, uh, for example, in the wall, darkness and gloomy thing, what do you like? Do you like the creatures? Do you like the, the global aesthetics? Do you like the, 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 the strange architecture? And all these things, you know, you can go back and back and back and back in time and influence because someone influenced someone that influenced someone that influenced someone. And while digging this, you're going to find what you really, really like by, you know, making, uh, by, by just taking the small part that you like that influenced a more global thing, a more recent thing that you, that you found maybe online or in books or in movies. So that's also a way to, more, to, to understand a bit more about yourself and your own taste. So uh, try this, just try this. If you, for example, I don't know, uh, read about the Tim Burton page, you, you, you'll see about uh, things about like the, the Caligari cabinet, of the, the Dr. Caligari, Caligari cabinet, which is a movie that heavily influenced a lot of people. And that's the same for video games. If you look at a game like Limbo, for example, you could say, oh, that's a, that's a Burton aesthetics. No, 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 that, that's a Burton aesthetics, but it's basically a game of its time with made by people that were influenced by, by Burton, but that went a bit more far, more in the past to find other influences. So, you know, you're just do this. Go on Wikipedia and click on the links about what were the influences of your models and of what you like. And I swear to you, you will find things you never expected that, that they existed. For example, I found a movement an art movement that is not well known that happened like a, a surrealist or Dada thing that happened, but in the seventies, you know, and I found it after three years of art school because nobody knew about this thing. It was so niche, you know, but when I saw this, I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. And I found so many other artists and so many other things. And I was like, that's me. That's my aesthetic. That's my team, my, my team. That's, that's what I want. So dig in. Digging in this rabbit hole like we are doing, like uh, Richmond did with the, the photography of uh, the drama of life <laughs> before birth. That's the kind of things you want. And um, you really will forget about comparing to other artists, contemporary artists and other, because you will find more easily your own voice. Yeah, comparison yeah. can be a thief of joy, as people say. So, yeah, yeah. it really can be. Um, I, I think that, uh, I don't know, I feel compelled to kind of, like jump in just for a quick second. Uh, you know, as someone who is in the midst of, I guess, building the foundation for 
their own content and where they want to take it. Uh, it can be very daunting to see someone that may be further ahead of you or that may be uh, more knowledgeable than you are at your current state. But one of the most important things you can do is just to focus on your growth as an artist. I mean, I'm piggybacking off of a lot of what Thomas said and, you know, what, what AJ is saying here. But, uh, you know, basically the journey should be about like where you're going and where you're trying to go and not about uh, how many numbers you can get or, or how strong you can make your numbers. Um, you know, really putting, you know, the, the work and the effort into improving on what you want to do and comparing yourself to your previous self is the best way to, you know, look forward to, to move forward. It's like, well, you know, if you, if you're starting to, you're like, Oh, I want to make a game and you started reading about programming and like the, the foundations of those things. And you look, you know, six months to a year later, and now you have a firm understanding of it and you're starting to create the template for your first game you've made improvements. Yeah, you may yeah. not have a full game yet. Mm -hmm. You may not have a trailer or anything like that, but you're making strides. And I think mm -hmm. that it's sometimes it can be really tough to focus on what actually matters because social media is everywhere. Every time you pick up your phone, you know, you're connected to it to some degree. So you might see somebody who's doing something that's further ahead uh, than what you're doing, but it doesn't take away from the accomplishments that you've had personally that you're doing in terms of your own growth and your own trajectory. So, um, you know, focus on learning about what your voice is and everything else will come into play. You know, you'll, you'll know what you need to do. And sometimes you might not even know what you need to do. You may just do it and it may turn out for the better for you anyway. And even if it doesn't, I mean, if you're having fun doing what you love to do, um, that's something. That's 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 a beautiful thing, especially in this day and age. A lot of people don't really have uh, opportunities to do that because, again, they're worrying about numbers. They're in all types of different situations. But, um, you know, life is meant to be enjoyed, man. Like, if you're enjoying what you're doing and it's making you happy, regardless of whether it's, you know, making numbers or not on, like, social media – your happiness is more important and your growth is more important anyway. Totally. Totally agreed. We live in an incredibly vast world and I think like one of the most important and interesting things about the past two, three decades regarding that is the fact that we've been able to see it grow and we've been able to see it shrink in a variety of different ways. We can, like we're doing right now, we're speaking for, to each other and to you, the viewer and listener, um, from all around the world. So it's really amazing to be able to have that. But at the same time, because you're able to see so many people from all around the world, in essence, like sometimes it can feel a bit crowded in in a sense, right? You can you can be like, oh, this guy's great, or this lady's awesome, or so much stuff is going on right now. It can be a bit too much. So, yeah, make sure that whatever you need to do, take the time to you know take some breaks as well, and remember that it's not always going to be the most important thing in the world to be online right now. But yeah, just make sure that whatever you're trying to do, whatever you're trying to achieve, just keep going for it. Keep putting in the time and the effort. Give yourself the breaks that you need. And yeah, don't um don't be too harsh on yourself. A lot of us are trying our best at the moment, especially now. So yeah, just keep it up. Yeah, I just want to uh, bring up a Ernest Hemingway quote. Um, yeah, th this is one that uh, uh, AJ. I know you're a fan of Robin Black, the, the yes. awesome martial arts commentator. He 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 brings up this quote all the time. Um, okay, so this is the quote. It's there is no nobility in being superior to your fellow man. 
true nobility lies in being superior to your former self. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's a really, really uh, beautiful and wise and uh, actionable sentiment. Yep. Absolutely. And so and so that's the podcast on Dark Stalkers. Yeah, Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that went very far. You know, Sean is going to listen and is going to be like, "What the hell? This is what happened? <laughs> I, I this just isn't a psychology <laughs> podcast. What do you guys think?" And and it and it goes like in a in a in a, in a find your way and uh, we are the world. Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah. It's what it's what happens. It's what the people need. It's what I think the people need. Yeah. Yeah. so true though mm -hmm. so true so i mean he'll he'll eventually understand we still owe him drinks but it's a barrel of beer or anything he wants after this Definitely. Yeah. when we can all travel again should we all meet at the same place yeah i'll definitely be, I'll, I'll treat you guys for sure no that'll be fun yeah oh, man yeah looking yeah. forward to it man That's wherever we all we all meet we will be it'll be a beautiful exchange come sure. to my house come to my house <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay i think um oh boy what a journey <laughs> let's uh let's let's uh close things out um uh yeah, just um, uh, if you have any last thoughts on, on Darkstalkers, and also just please uh, let uh, anyone listening know uh, how, how to keep following you outside of the podcast. Okay. Uh, uh, well, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll go first. Yeah, yeah um, go for it. The Darkstalker series, um, for me, uh, it, it opened up my eyes to a lot of different things. Uh, you know, on a on a basic level, it it opened my eyes to uh, different ways that fighting games work or can work. Um, it allowed me to experiment and explore how I express myself artistically through fighting games. Um, it it got me to think on a different level that I didn't really think was possible, and it's something that. Just, it, it means so much to me in regards to uh, how I approach playing fighting games, but also just as an artist, as you know, a lot of people have come to learn that you know, Bengus is one of my hugest influences, and uh, a lot of his work permeates through uh, the Vampire Savior series, at least. But um, you know, being exposed to his work constantly uh, has been a huge influence on me from the moment that I knew who he was and like just how I approach art. Um, you know, vampire savior represents like a culmination of just like uh, a catalyst for my own growth uh, on, on so many levels. And I think that it's a beautiful game and it represents such a, a huge collective of talent that, uh, you know, they all met, at the right time to make this beautiful game exactly when it was supposed to be released. And it was a catalyst for uh, a lot of the, the, the things that we see in fighting games made by other companies. And I, I, I feel like the more that you can expose this game to people and to introduce it to people, um, you know, of course it'll allow people to learn the history of fighting games, but also like, you know, give them something that they may possibly enjoy that maybe they didn't know about. Um, you know, I, I feel like the Dolph Stalker series in general is just like a, 
a beautiful historic moment in fighting games and uh, definitely should uh, receive more exposure and, and respect. So I'm glad and be honored to uh, talk about this. You know, I, I, I mean, I'm pretty knowledgeable about these games, but there's a lot of people who know a lot more than me. So I'm very honored to uh, be able to contribute. And uh, it's, it's been great. And also, uh, if you want to know more about me talking about things I love, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. That is beefy underscore kunoichi. Um, I do have an Instagram as well, which is stride underscore driver. But uh, in terms of like content, that is a little bit different and varied just from me drawing art. Uh, Twitter is probably the best place. Um, you also get to see some of my cooking efforts as well, because I'm into <laughs> taking pictures of my own food recently. So uh, you'll Let's also go. get that. But <laughs> <laughs> well, that's me. Well, going next, so, well, I don't know a lot, uh, I don't think there's a lot to add to what James said. Uh, to me, it's, uh, this game allowed me uh, to get, you know, a, mo a bigger appreciation for fighting games, art, animation, and, you know, the, the cohesive effort uh, that comes to making them. So I'm really glad I'm... I think that's with the article of Richmond Road. That's the thing that made me interested in animation. I'm not doing animation, you know, but it helps me understand better why some games work and some doesn't work. And um, and it and uh, studying Darkstalkers after that helped a lot. And uh, that's the I think that's the starting point. That's the starting point in in some fighting games and. Uh, well, you should probably try it, play it, or something like that, or at least listen to music and watch some sprites and things like that. So that's all. If you want to follow me, just go on Twitter and type uh, Tomasaurus, T-H-O-M-A-S-O-R-U-S, and uh, I just uh, retweet art, like James Art, and uh, <laughs> for example, and uh, other artists, and I talk about development and uh, fighting games too, so... There you go. Awesome. I'm just going to hop out. Yeah, so Darkstalkers is what happens when a team fires on all cylinders for multiple years. <laughs> it's an it's an honor in many ways to be able to share this platform and engage in this conversation with everyone and listeners tuning in right now. Yeah, the series and the discussion around it, it's been a massive influence on me. And I found it, as I mentioned, at such a specific time, and I'm really grateful for that. I've been able to make so many great friends and companions, hear so much great music and amazing, amazing art, see that great and amazing art. And yeah, because of it, I've been able to grow as a person, as a creative, and just in general, as a being. So it's been a pleasure. So I've had a great time chatting with everyone. I'm really pleased and proud to be able to have contributed to these discussions, offering my own perspective. So I just want to say thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to you guys all for listening. Thanks to everyone at home. Thanks to everyone out there. I hope you've all had fun. I've had a really great time. It's been a pleasure, actually. This is a last time hopping on this great podcast. So thanks again to Richmond for making this happen and actually inviting me on. Again, huge moment for me. Very full circle, as I've already mentioned, but it's been a pleasure. So... Once again, you can all find me on Twitter at AJ Mattis on Twitter. I go by Adam or AJ. They're both my name. It's cool. I'm Adam Mattis. I'm a game and level designer. I'm a pixel artist. I'm also an international taekwondo fighter and champion. By all means, you can follow me over there on Twitter again at AJMATTIS. And yeah, 
if you want to hear me talk about cool art games, some have some fun with media talks, plus bits and scenes from my life, I'll be able to. I'll be over there doing that. But yeah, I've just been really happy to be here, chopping up with everyone, being cool, having fun. Take care. It's been great. Peace out. Right. Super happy to have you on the podcast. Um, Thanks, man. Yeah, I, 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 I don't really have anything to add. Um, everyone stated. Uh, just so many beautiful thoughts on the game, uh, so many sentiments that I share. Um, I, I will just say, like, uh, just this podcast itself probably it literally wouldn't have happened without the existence of Darkstalkers and without that inspiring me to begin blogging in the first place. So um, that's just a testament to, to just how special, uh, you know, something can be when, when you when you get the right group of people and you, you, you sincerely, you know, put your effort into it, that that's, that's how you create something that can be timeless. Right. Um, yeah. So, so dark stalker is very special. If you're listening, I hope you'll uh, try the game out. If you haven't played it, you know, maybe, maybe rope some friends in, uh, it's, it's a beautiful mm-hmm. experience. Um, yeah. So, uh, th- thank you. Thank you for listening. And, um, thank you everyone for, for, being on the podcast at, at all i love hanging out with you guys and um yeah for all the listeners out there if you enjoyed the podcast you can follow us on twitter at art eater podcast that's a-r-t-e-a-t-e-r-p-o-t-c-a-s-t uh, art eater podcast uh no underscores or anything and um Yes, so, and uh, hopefully we're on whatever platform you like for uh, you know for listening to podcasts. Um, let us know if we missed anything, but we're we're on all the major ones that we know of. Uh, and I'm your host Richmond. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Richmond Lee. That's R I C H M O N D underscore L E E. And um, yeah, I also head up the the blog uh, Art Eater. That's Art Eater dot com. Um, yeah, so that's, that's it. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much for listening and, uh, you know, tune in, please, uh, tune in in the future for more of these long rambling, uh, passionate <laughs> <laughs> uh, discussions with, with good, good friends. Yeah. Just super yeah. happy to be here with y'all. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. See ya. Bye, everybody. Au revoir. <laughs>